And welcome back to the Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan. And I'm Darren. I'm Duncan. And uh, we're going to be talking about shielding today uh, and how grounding relates to shielding and and uh, all of the items around uh, how shielding affects different components and yeah. affects the sound from cables to chassis to to how RF uh, interference can be mitigated right. through through shielding. So, um, great topic. Yeah, it's gonna be gonna be a fun talk today. Um, so, uh, as we always uh, start, uh, we like to talk a little bit about our systems and what's been going on recently with us. And so, Duncan, what's been going on with you, man? Yeah, well, uh, it hasn't been too long since the last time we recorded a podcast, but in that time, I undertook a little DIY project that's been kicking around in the back of my mind, and I knew I wanted to do it. Um, I just kind of had a few hours to myself and decided to jump on it, which is to start working on building diffusers and absorbers for my stereo systems in my different rooms. Um, I got for Christmas, this killer, uh, double bevel, like mitering chop saw, you know, from my father-in-law and it's a pretty, it's a pretty nice chop saw. It's not gonna like lie. so pro. It's really, it's really pro. It's too pro for me. It, it's like, it, it outclasses you. It's been, in, uh, like, intimidating as, me. You know, like you got to build a deck if you're going to have one of those, exactly. you know, like you got to build like a, a little shed in the back house and so, multiple stories in the treehouse with power, like frame a whole barn. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's like that kind of chop you, saw. You bring that thing on your truck and like, yeah. it's done. And so, yeah. anyway, it's very intimidating. It's been very intimidating to me sitting in my garage. I look at it all the time and I'm just yeah. thinking like, I just don't have any project where I need like perfect right angles or miter angles. Yeah, it, it, <clears> it's, <throat> it's not really, honey, I fixed the trimming right. on the door yeah. one, you know? Yeah, yeah I'm going to so, yeah, hang this picture anyways, with my chop saw. That was a good, it was a good present. It was so, a good present. it's a great present, but yeah. this was its inaugural um, project, <laughs> which I guess really I could have really forced myself to like set it up um, beforehand just so I could, you know. But my father-in-law gets it, and he bought it with the intention of you know that that I'd use this for many years, and yeah, it would occupy it will role probably last a long, long time. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we've been talking about Darren's uh, ATS acoustics uh, acoustical treatment you know, panels. He's got the absorbing panels. He's got the diffusing panels and the diffusing panels are of a type called QRD, which stands for quadratic residue diffuser, where it has a series of wells of different depths and widths that uh, trap waves and um, force them against each other uh, so that they cancel out in a combing pattern, but they kind of just find, find a way to cancel out inside those wells. And so, um, and then it's also these flat panels, so at high frequency, um, you get some reflection, but you get it at these different depths, so it actually changes the kind of like timing uh, spectrum of the treble. So it's a really effective diffuser yeah. across yeah. a whole bunch of frequencies. Yeah, it's also Yours like is. just so you don't get the direct reflection directly back to you. Yeah, you put that yeah. on a flat wall to you disperse, mitigate all you the, disperse the effects of a flat the, wall. The reflection. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I've got a flat wall that is just kind of placed perfectly to interfere with my soundstage. 
um, in my listening room downstairs um, is what I'm talking about with the deckware speakers and the Constellation amp. I have it uh, 45 degrees at an angle. Um, I'd like it a little more, but that would kind of force me to move the speakers into the walkway. And again, this is always a balance of you know sound versus you know I can't close off this whole room just for this one sound system. So, um, but set up 45 degrees. I've got this back wall that at my on my right side it's it's closest to me and then it moves away because if you think I'm on a I'm on an angle so it you know on my left side it's much further away from my ears than it is on my right side consequently the image that I hear even if I set it up so that it locks in position is, is shifted left and so I've been doing things to work on that image like move the speaker closer but there's a limit <clears throat> to where you start uh, affecting the phase relationships between two speakers and they don't produce as clear images anymore if you come too close with that speaker and break that triangle too much so that's when you realize Man. okay I need to do room treatment for this it's not just a move the speaker forward problem yeah. or or maybe make the speaker less like have it have less toe in so you have more directional tweeter it's not that it's you can't get it with those subtle changes you need a drastic change of I need to diffuse this reflection. So I I tried it in a few spots when I finished um, making it. um, Oh, and I didn't explain what I made. The kind of QRD I like is that that one where the posts come out at you at different depths or whatever. You see it in studios a lot. Because it's pretty easy to make. You make like four different lengths of dowel or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I've even seen where what they do is they'll... They'll make a frame around that and then actually put some, some like uh, acoustic tra- acoustically transparent cloth around that. Oh. And so it actually looks like an absorber, but really inside it's... Oh, that's tricky. Yeah. So I made a frame around mine mm-hmm. because there's also this element where um, waves are pressure... Uh, sound waves are pressure waves and, and there's an element to which they will move to kind of like the easiest path, the path of least resistance when it comes to absorption like like for bass traps in in order to make an effective bass trap you can't allow an an exit for this wave a pressure exit you need to have it go through it you know and so um i've got these like kind of sidewalls on the diffuser to kind mm-hmm. of like corral some waves and i think that makes it even more effective in in its role so anyway um what I did with the chop saw is I got these bundles of six, uh, I think they're one by one garden stakes. And I just cut them at, you know, with the, at all these different, uh, lengths and just threw it together. And what's crazy about that method is that you work and work and work and work and you've only got, you know, one strip. Yeah. Yeah. That's very slow work. Yeah. It's slow work. Yeah. Yeah. Do you just make, days. do you make like the same height? You make like a bunch of the same ones and then yeah. you just go down uh, like another, you know, half inch or inch. Yeah. What were the increments that you were doing? Inches. One yeah, inch, inches, two inch, okay. three inch, four inch. So you're just making a ton of those yeah. at one time. Yep. And then, and then it's just gluing and placing and using wood glue. I assume. Yeah. So I, uh, I cut the four dimensions and I cut the most uh, twos, twos are the most, but only by a small margin, and the rest are kind yeah. of uh, evenly mixed. 
and um, ones are hardest to place, but they're great because they're, you know, this deep well. Um, and so, you know, you mock it out. <clears throat> what I like um, is to build a frame. So I start with just a piece, piece of plywood. What plywood do I have in my garage? Okay, I have a 14 by 40 inch piece. That's what I actually used for this. So then um, use two by fours as the frame. And then you can just kind of put these things inside. And the two by four allows, you know, it, it to, if you use ones, um, act as walls so that you have this deep uh, thing in, but the fours stick straight out of the two by four. So it's this, um, yeah, really textured kind of thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now my, uh, research on this in the past, uh, I come across this, this interesting little anecdote, um, in a couple places where I've done research about QRDs and how to make your own. And, and that is that, um, there's a, a level of effectiveness for relatively approximate, approximate QRD design versus computer generated QRD design. And, um, it's not a big deal, but it's just basically like kind of can give you some, um, confidence as a DIYer that, um, if you eyeball and you kind of understand what's going on, that waves of a certain wavelength are going to get trapped in here, then you can you can kind of start understanding what the sizes are that you're aiming for. You know, for this wall, <clears throat> it's all mids and, and top end that I'm thinking about. Yeah. And so if, if I was only going for top end, then I would use much smaller dowels so that they have these, you know, effective, you know... Um, flat surfaces that that affect the waves you know in the right way and um can combine these waves in these wells correctly so um one by ones you know you're looking at high mid-range and then if i group them up like four one inches next to two walls of four inches you know i can tackle some deeper mid-range waves so what i what i made was pretty wide band it's focused on the upper region. It's exactly what my system needed because, um, you know, so anyway, um, I put it in the right place last night and I just heard the soundstage just whoop, open up on that right side. Nice. It was cool. Um, I'm, God, it, this is so common. <coughs> one of the, one of the, uh, more common issues in a room that I hear people complain about is that my soundstage isn't symmetrical, that it's pulling. It's hard to and get it right. Like, it's to get almost it every room that I've heard, you know, or I've at least set my systems up, I have issues with the soundstage pulling. Um, and uh, I was actually just helping a friend uh, last weekend uh, just trying to mitigate um, an issue with uh, his system pulling to the right. And... Uh, and, you know, I'm going to be coming over with some absorption panels and trying to, you know, deal with that issue uh, with treatment, you know. And so right. treatment is really a great a great thing. And it doesn't always – it's not always uh, diffusion that does it, but sometimes right. it's absorption. And, and you know, a lot of times the best way to go about it is a mix of – I should two. say yeah. I, I put up my QRD right next to an absorber panel yeah. on it's that. It's great background. to have just a mix of stuff and yeah. – like always, we don't like, you know, symmetry and audio. And we also, no. there's, it's a balance in the room between absorption and, and creating an, you know, an a- ambience, uh, and that, and the, the, uh, 
diffusing or the diffuser panels, they really do make sure that you keep the space live to some degree, right? So it's you don't want to create a, a, a recording studio here. Well, like you mentioned, yeah, you can go too far. You can go too far with the diffusers where it, it becomes too live. The system, the sound, may, you may not be uh, like receiving a lot of like cancellation or getting a lot of cancellations in the room, but the room will start to appear like bright. It'll right. start to get bright yeah. on you. So, And you can go too far the other way, too much absorption, etc. Yep. Yep. It's a... Uh, yeah, and too much absorption, you just like kind of kill everything and the sound stage is killed and yeah. And so it's interesting to note, like we've talked about, okay, breaking out of the mold of the equilateral triangle and acknowledging that if I have an asymmetrical room here and the pressure release on this left side is so much easier on the speakers than this side, which has a closer reflector, then the this if I'm really dialing in it, if I want to move that center image from the right to the left, I pull that left speaker forward just a little bit. Right. So just what I found is that there's a limit to that. Just like the, you can diffuse too much. You can absorb too much. You can use this tool too much so that the whole stereo connection between these speakers is ruined because Mm -hmm. it's too far. So I found that those ended up being subtle adjustments and I am going to continue adjusting because now I got that wall treated. The whole right side of the soundstage is different now. So now mm. I need to adjust yeah. to that. I think also people sometimes get, they, they're they too crude with their speaker adjustments. Mm. Like sometimes when you're dealing with toe-in, oh, tiny, tiny it's things. just yeah. tiny changes. Closer and you then get listen, to listen to it. Like just too. move it just ever so slightly. Yeah. It, you know, and you'll notice that it it does change the center image, and to get a really really locked in center center image, something that I I haven't quite gotten to in my den system. I haven't gotten to that step yet. I'm still trying to deal with some some uh, some base uh, some like basic stuff. But when you get your system really dialed in, that small little nudges like in toe in rake angle. All these kind of stuff, it, all that is critical to getting it absolutely locked in the center. And it's good to, of course, have those uh, recordings in your library and up your sleeve uh, that you pull out exactly for this, where you, you can trust that center image. Yeah. I know this vocalist needs to be here. Coulter Wall is that for me. I always pull okay, up that's Coulter yours. Wall. Yeah. yeah, Songs from the Plains. Um, What's I the, just, um, it's just so center. What's the Jennifer Warren's, the classic Jennifer Warren's Yeah, Warren Jennifer setup? Warren's song, but uh, that's for the, the that, That's bass. the Hunter, right? Is it the name of the song? I don't know. I remember I wasn't I able to find it on any that. streaming platform yeah. at one point. It's a, it's a, it's a good one because it's somewhat of an industry standard. To oh, We'll try to dig it up and mention it next week because um, I need to actually grab that track. Well, that's the one that uh, the Masters set is. That's the, the Samiko right? yeah. setup. Yeah, yeah thing. right. So, so yeah, well that's that's great, man. Yeah, that's that's been my my uh, week in audio has been uh, reaping the rewards of bunch of chop saw work, coming to uh, you know good terms with my new intimidating saw. <laughs> so, there you nice. go. What's been going on with you audio wise this week? Um, so I uh, I recabled my den system. That's an understatement. Um, 
Let's yeah. just yeah. I re- just, I re- just sit it. on this for a second. I wish yeah. I could show you guys a picture uh, <laughs> of the boxes. Yeah. So I I recabled it with uh, with pretty much uh, when it comes to power cables and speaker cables, uh, AudioQuest Dragons uh, yeah. throughout the system, and then. I went with winds for the interconnects, um, and so now I'm I'm uh, I'm like two days in after the installation, and uh, you know I'm just in a break in process right now. Like it, I was just telling Duncan like I had to turn off the system for this podcast, and it like you know I'm somewhat anxious that it the makes you anxious not, that it's not playing, you know, because <laughs> like, I'm trying to You're get to, just like, prolonging the period. Right, I'm trying to get to 200, 300 hours, you know, and I only I'm only in well today added I'm like 20, 28, 29 right now, so early early yeah. days still. But also, um, you know, because uh, so I mean, sometimes people buy cables that have been on shelves for a while or in inventory or something and yours are kind of brand new so brand new that you actually pulled the tabs i on pulled some the tabs your, on a few your dbs's which mm-hmm. means that they haven't had that it's like a two-week period that it takes for that plastic to get charged with that really low current dc and stuff right yep. so anyway you've got a lot of time to go but yep um, I'll, I'll i'll get there but it's interesting what's crazy is know. is that you know, you've got state of the art. So yeah, Darren's if, if anyone's questioning, you know, we've been talking about the magic of um proper power cabling and, and mm-hmm. kind of advances in that regard for a long time. Um Darren's definitely committed. I can't wait to hear what it sounds like. Cause you heard uh, a demo of a full broken in yeah. loom before yeah, you like pulled this trigger. Probably thousands of hours on those cables. Yeah. yeah. And you so, told me like uh, yeah, I can't was, listen to my system without that. Yeah, anymore. right, right. So, you know, and what I'm going for in this room, the den room, yeah. is ultra high resolution. Um, and and it's it's I want that because, you know, what I do when I have to listen to a component or it's I have to listen to I I need something I need an analytical tool. So, so not not saying that the system's like going to be super you know anemic and analytical. It's just that. It, it it it's very high resolution um is what i'm going for for that room because i you know it just makes my job so much easier when i you know when i have to listen for my for for work yeah um and so that the den is a little bit more about that and the larger room is uh, the fun room That's, to any new listeners by the way darren is a senior analog design engineer at ps audio very yeah, been there for about five years now, and yep. enjoy and it your, very much. Your main listening room is is uh, empty. Well, it's not speakerless. You've got no, a tiny little system not, that's it's you not set speaker- up. Yeah, I set up a little system with the P threes and Strata Strat and a P3 direct stream. ESR. Yeah, direct stream DAC with um, the broken. In, I have some Firebird speaker cables. And those are broken in. Those are good. Those were what we were listening to before on the Den system, which sounded yep. amazing. I couldn't believe the break-in with those. Like yeah, when I first got we, them, we didn't it, like it, was, it was tough for we me. We didn't like them compared to the Iconoclast, and then they just yeah. passed them. Bang. It yeah. just... And that system uh, with... I mean, I, it's not a fair matching, you know? And that's the thing about, you know, my, you know I, I get to 
we get to like put weird stuff together. I put um four hundred dollars you know I mean? speakers on a six thousand dollar amp yesterday, and I yeah. was like, "Yeah, so you get to do stuff that doesn't make sense." I, in the I was field, like, you know, "I but am it's... hearing the four hundred dollarness of these speakers right now," <laughs> and and I, you know, I just kind of yeah. like I thought they could hit higher than their weight, and they maybe a little bit, but it just wasn't as much as I thought. Right. But I got the chance to do that because yeah, yep. I'm, I'm Duncan. I'm a testing technician at the music room which many of you might know is the leader in uh, used hi-fi audio gear. But I test a lot of stuff, listen to a lot of stuff. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, the other room the other room is mainly about, you know, large-scale musicality is, I guess, the way I would put it. It's about, you know, long listening sessions and not being too critical on recording, not chopping recordings down, you know, not being too crazy on on recording quality and just having a good old time and and uh, I think that you know the Dunlavy for me are just they just do something that I haven't quite heard another speaker do. Yeah, I was gonna say you typically put line array sized MTMs in there and and you know as we've been talking about our journey and understanding these MTMs and mm-hmm. why what they do is so cool and why it does it and why other things don't. Uh, yeah, it's the only speaker for that room. It's it's uh, big it's room a big room. It's a great ceiling. speaker for them. Yeah. And now we need to do some mods, and mods will be coming. And I know we've talked about the mods. Like we had some cus. We had some. I'm sorry. We had someone say like, someone email us and tell me. You know, you need to get a Dex, which is a high end DSP. Yeah. Uh, and you need to use that for the higher end driver modification on the Dunlavy. And all I have to say is that you're right, but I just, I need to, I think I just need to get the Dunlavies up and running again before I spend 5,500 bucks on the decks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it all adds up, but, um, but in the end, uh, I, I guess in the future I would, I'm always going to like keep the original configuration of them, meaning like, you know, store the drivers, label, label the drivers, store the original crossovers. I wouldn't do anything to the stock speaker. Yeah. And I'll always, always make, make it, it so that I could reverse you can reverse it. it. Yeah. But I, I will in, uh, eventually do some, something to them as far as, you know, some crazy active system with the tech streams or something that I've already, I already have those drivers. But for right now, I just, I just want to get the, Dunlavies playing again. I miss I miss them a lot. I miss your Dunlavies. Um, you know and, what you know. I would? It would be too much for me to to go DSP my Dunlavies because then you're thinking, oh, I don't have any phase disruption, so I can do 48 dB slopes. I can do 24 dB slopes. I can do 12. Should yeah. I? So then. But then you have to set up an impulse measuring rig in order to do it the right way that Dunlavi intended, which uses the drivers working with each other. And then you're getting rid of his shelving thing, which plays a role. And it's like, does that have a sonic role? Is it the shelving? Well, you plus can the emulate cabinet? the shelving. Well, you could do that yeah, in, yeah, in, the, yeah. in the, but would you? And that's my point is there's, yeah. it's like too much Probably. for me. Yeah, like, oh, you I, should do it. But, I, but yeah. for me, like I'm, yeah. I'm taking my mods. You and I also decided we were going to do wiring kind of first, maybe wiring that. Oh, and, and well, because the wiring resistors. is just, and we've we've notified. I think we've said this is that if you've got Dunlavies or you're planning on buying Dunlavies, you might want to think about a rewire as well. Yeah, you know, it's something that I think uh, you know anybody you know mechanically inclined can do a rewire. 
and uh the, unfortunately the the cable that he used was like some cheap monster cable and and it and it oxidized pretty and, low gauge and if it's on the e, if you're on the east coast where it's more uh humid yeah. uh it probably is even worse and minor it's just straight green it's just green cable yeah. inside of my downline and then the tab connectors on the east coast are going to be tough too now he did seal the cabinets pretty nice now it's hard for us to tell because we're in Colorado and it's just like nothing tries to get it's, into these cabinets. And these have never left Colorado. But so. each of our crossover, whenever we pulled a crossover, it's like pristine from the day it was like left the factory. The crossover is, yeah. yeah. So you imagine, you know, okay, environmental, uh, you know, the environment is not getting in here. It's it's kind of a closed environment. But yeah, with enough time, they're 30 years old. Oh, so yeah. Well, yeah, they're still air, Ours are green. We've already cut them open and they're they're green. You know, the wires are in. So we're thinking um, the the nuts and bolts of that actually is that he's got all these sealed uh, boxes inside for the different drivers. And you've got to drill through each of these and then seal that up. So the question, you know. Well, they've already done that. Yeah. So that's one of the well, things. Well, you could cut that... it, but then you, what do you drill it and make it bigger? And then you have to seal No, it he in. already has the holes. They're just, you got to just take the epoxy out or whatever is sealing it. That's what I'm saying. That's going to yeah. be messy because it's got oh, it wire is. in the middle. So yeah, you, it is. you cut it. What are you going to do? Drill it? I mean, I've been thinking oh, about I see, this. I see what you mean. I've been thinking about this. Okay. I've been thinking I'll just drill a new hole maybe. But anyway, we'll mm. confront that road when we get there. Okay. Yeah, we will. It's not good to make new holes. I get it. Yeah. yeah we'll look at We'll it, look right? at it. There yeah. might be some ways. I like the idea of maybe drilling straight into the cables. I don't know. I'm a, I'm yeah, a little bit right of a... I'm yeah. an electrical engineer, so I'm a little bit of a nightmare when it comes to mechanical <laughs> stuff. It's really not my expertise, but but as um, for the wiring, did you have any thoughts lately? Like, what's you know, I've been racking my brain like stranded, solid. I love, yeah. I I know what I like mm. for different frequencies. I don't know what I like for the chaotic, vibration-rich environment of the inside of a speaker. Yeah. You know, yeah, not uh, not ribbons. <laughs> Right. Well, right, you know, I talked about like, because, well, I've like had, putting them on the outsides of the cabinet and like gluing them to the walls and having them climb. Yeah. Did oh, you actually yeah, right. do that though? I, I did that in a speaker. I just put random ribbon. I put ribbon cable in a speaker, which is like, it's really not a great idea, but I did it. <laughs> it was big you ribbon. Know, it was like 14 gauge. Or right. Something. Right. It's really not a great idea. It's kind of like a sail, you know, it's kind of like a, yeah, it's like a, <laughs> You know, it's it's a bad idea. I guess so. I, yeah. I just I just did it. You know, I, I don't think I, I hear it unless you really crank it or something. But I've never heard I've them. I've never heard that. Are yeah, they, I've is never that still what's them. in your DM ones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I did but, dual uh, wiring inside mine, which I like. A, that's a better idea. Yeah. Well, and the great so. thing about that, it's got the cotton jacket that's oil impregnated, so mm. it's it's pretty like vibration dampening mm. by its nature. But it's um, stranded, so. Anyways, no, I haven't really thought much about because right. well, my we'll I guess my real it. my real thought that comes to mind is uh, like anything would be better than what's in there. Okay, that, that's how bad the the cable is that's in them. You there. know, it's just when you see all green, it's just like oh, I know. It's like <laughs> it's, get this out, yeah. So uh, anyway, that yeah, that's just what's what been going on with me. It's like just uh, you know, it's just to get that room up and running again, and and I know like I've had all these plans and I've talked about all these plans and i got sick uh a few weeks ago i think i mentioned that last week really set me back 
and I've been, you know, slowly recovering. Uh, you probably can tell just by my voice this week that I'm better off than I was even last week. So, yeah. um, so a little bit rough go and then, but now it's like, I really miss my Dunlavies. They've been too quiet for too long yeah, dude. and they just, they just do stuff. I'm sorry. They just do something that I've never heard, you know, see, they speak to me, you know, just like Paul, like it's the IRS's speak to him. Yeah. You know, and, and the, so we all have our, of PS audio. we all have our, our speakers that, you know, speak to us in, yeah. in the way that they communicate to us. I would and say, I think you and I are both touched by Dunlavies in a similar way. Yes. Like and I am touched by your Dunlavies. So I'm like, touched by your Dunlavies. And you this are exactly. Weird. So, so my Dunlavies are the three, they're smaller and they do something because they're not trying to make bass. They actually like have this ability to like kind of separate those duties and have some clarity in certain ways. You've talked about their monitor esque uh, presentation. Yeah, as, something as is, compared to your SC four or yeah, the something's five, better. Is. Something's better in the top end of them. And so these are what comes. This is what comes to mind is that the baffle is is thinner. It is it. right. That's, Quite a that's, bit thinner. That's one thing. Quite a bit thinner. That's one thing. Yeah. The the second thing is that you replaced your tweeters. Yes, correct. And I don't really know the state of... Uh, no, you do. You, so Chris, you had Chris no measured I, output above 10K, right? Yeah, Chris and I tried to measure the working tweeter, yeah. and it looked weird, and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And I'm really wondering whether... I don't think it was my microphone that was, was damaged. I think it was actually that the tweeters are, are not good anymore. Like, they've, Did, been, they've been just stressed. Didn't we see that? Weren't they ferrofluid? I mean, there's just, like, stuff. It's dry in Colorado. I don't know. It's not well. Also, they're getting hit tweeters. with 800 hertz, and they were getting that's hit with 800. Yeah. So so um, um, so that anyways, the short term, it's just I know that I was re- playing on replacing and upgrading the Dunlavies. For right now, I just want to get it back to the way it was. I was going to buy the original tweeter no matter what because I want to again have it completely, you know, a box that has everything that contain the stock components of the speaker because I think. You know, I want to treasure what John Dunlavey did and, and have that still still have the ability to bring the speaker back to stock if I wanted to. Right. But um, but so I'm just going to get him back and rolling because I, cool. I miss him, you know. Yeah, I miss man. him. I get so, it. Anyways. All right. Cool. Well, this week we have a few questions. Um, oh, yeah. And I think the first one was uh, actually on that topic of that room. Yes. Uh, yes. So... Uh, we we take questions, we take tips, um, we take audiophile like album recommendations. If we take one liners too. We take jokes, yeah. We'll just, take just jokes. We'll take any jokes. kind of stuff like that. Um, if you've got a question that you'd like us to answer, our email address is hi-fi at outlook dot com. Darren is a, a very experienced and award winning um, you know hi-fi audio design engineer, and I'm just some dude, but. We will do our best to You're not some dudes. figure yeah. out how to answer your question. We're um, all dudes. We're, we're all, all dudes, dudes, I guess. But uh, all right. The first question <clears throat> is, is, you know, it's been a year and a couple weeks, a year and a month or something. And <clears throat> sometimes you get correspondence that really causes you to, you know, stop and consider you know, the finer things in life and, and think about, you know, what's it truly important. And, um, we got an email from, um, listener named Garrett Dahl. Um, and I just wanted to read it 
because it kind of caused us to pause and and reflect on what's truly important. <clears throat> Garrett Dahl writes us, the subject line is smoke machine update. Hi guys, can we get a smoke machine update? You had mentioned using <laughs> one to improve ambiance. Let us know how that went. Awesome. Awesome. Because yeah, here we have a listener that really gets it and understands where the important yeah, stuff exactly. is. Because this and is that's what that, we're what that room's going to end up being like. The, so you know, I have the hi-fi room. Dude, you have purple over there on the walls. Yeah, you have red is, under the couch, like like ambiance. Is, Darren nails ambiance, <laughs> and so I cannot wait for the smoke machine. So, so. The, yeah, so there is a smoke machine. It okay. is it is coming. But this is what this is the update. Uh, on the topic of the smoke machine is that there there has been a large disco ball that has been delivered to this house it's there yeah it, you it's not yeah. like you're thinking about ordering and it. i bought a a, 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 ro- a like a remote <laughs> controlled motor that rotates it uh, and i'm gonna give everybody <laughs> like headlamps that you can like point directly at the disco ball right yeah, for yeah. the party yeah, yeah have the headlamp disco ball party um so, uh, so you wonderful. know, we like to have fun. and, and So that uh, doesn't work without a smoke machine, by the way. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah. even... Nothing works without the smoke machine. <laughs> Not even the system. That's right. So, uh, so, yeah, I do plan on doing the smoke machine still. And, you know, it's like we like to have fun. I mean, like, that's what Hi-Fi is about. It's about, um, you know, enjoying it with others and creating a cool environment. And, you know, a, a huge, uh, you know, step forward in Hi-Fi was, was like the hue phillips system the phillips hue system i should say darren mentions this sometimes. because Y'all well because that because it changes the game it's real. It like changes it changes emotions. the game yeah it really does yeah. you know it's yeah um it does and and it creates an you know an ambiance and a and a you know mood in the room and and i think it's really it's really cool it's really neat and you get to kind of tie it in with um with whatever you're listening to and there's actually, they came out, I heard that they came out with a new hue strip for the back of your TV mm. that syncs with the TV. And depending on the colors that are displayed on the TV and the scene, it actually will reflect that on the back. Whoa. Yeah. So you get some sort of like immersive. Yeah, kind of like immersive in the room, yeah. kind of changing the mood, you know, it's whether it's a dark scene or whether it's a, whether it's a just bright messing scene with your and, brain. That's very much like audio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I think huh. the, the hues are uh, one of the best investments I've done as far as like creating some sort of ambiance, but the, the smoke machine with the hues, with the, with the disco ball, I think that's really going to be the real move. And if you order a smoke machine and you have a Kuzma turntable with like some sort of electron microscope so that you can adjust well, your yeah. azimuth, you're going to want to invest in a nice ultrasonic record cleaner. <laughs> so you get <laughs> yeah, that smoke dust out. Yeah, the, the idea is to actually move the Kuzma out of that room because I, I don't really think... A uh, smoke machine with uh, records, it's just not a good idea. So You don't even think like you should even go down that path with a cleaner, like in a regular cleaning, like I'm going to have to clean these more cause there's smoke on them. Yeah. I don't like, want to, I don't want to get into that. Don't it's, even want, it's, it's intentionally putting dust on your record. So yeah, you just I, can't even pull I'm that not, off, I'm not right? going to do that. That's fine. That's one thing I'm, I'm drawing the line there is if the smoke machine's used, I'm listening to digital. All right. But you, you went into, you know, you, you made this great turntable stand. Are you going to put, another turntable there like your tnt yeah or yeah no thinking... I, I the tnt i'm gonna sell the tnt 
Um, so it's going to be you up for sale for soon. It. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a great table. It's just, honestly, it's a little bit too much for a secondary table. For yeah, me. you have the TNT Mark V Hot Rod Edition. With mm-hmm. a giant, giant plinth and then with a the SDS. giant dust cover, right? Yep. Is that kind of weird? Yep. Mm-hmm. With the SDS, the, with speed, the SDS, the speed controller, right? Yep, yep, yep. And, um, um, so anyways, and, and new belts, which, uh, new belts, yeah, which was a funny thing. I think we it's mentioned a great, it it's a great cover. table. It's just, uh, I'm, uh, I'm just want to downsize. I want to have like for that room, I'm going to just, it's not going to be just something as serious and mainly digital yeah. for that room, you know, just cause that's, yeah. that's when I have people over they're connecting to rune, you know, we're just swapping music back and forth. You know, it's just not this. really the, the analog room. This is more so the analog room. I was going to say this, like your Dunlavies to me are, it's more like of a get together and more of a fun community thing when we're listening to that in a listening session. Yes. And I don't know, I was starting to think, you know, I didn't want to think about this too long while you're talking, not listening to you, but it's like, what is that? You know, in here, it's like, it's like you hear more. So it's like more is asked of you. And so you're kind of you're working a lot more than in that room. That's one thing I came up with. Hmm. What do you think? Is it- well, I, I think that you're right there. Um, I also think that, bigger? that scale is another thing. Scale. Now, yeah. The sweet spot is huge in with Wilson. It's really big, isn't it? The 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 Dunlavies have a small sweet spot. Um, and but they're, but they're um. The scale of the Dunlavies are so giant. And so one of the reasons why that is, is because it's all, you know, 6 dB per an octave slopes. Yeah. And you have a speaker that's 6'2 in height. Yeah, and a lot of, and and so, a lot of and so basically slope the, crossovers, you'll have individual drivers that you're listening to at any time, right? Uh, covering, but, but are you implying that these work I'm impl- together more? I'm implying that the 10s, like on the SC4, they're operating quite high. Yeah, did you guys figure out, was yeah. it like 400 or something like they went up to? Well, it's it's a it's a slope, so it doesn't just stop; it continues. Or the three dB down. To, oh, I, three, I, I, oh, or whatever. I don't remember what the what they're 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 operating relatively high, of course. Anyway, yeah, it's a well-behaved driver. You know, it was it's a it's a good quality ScanSpeak that has yeah. a one of the actually the first drivers that ScanSpeak ever released that had a shorting ring on it. Oh, interesting. So it's okay. a it's a pretty advanced design that's yeah. still sold today by right. by uh, by ScanSpeak, and so. Um, so it's a nice, it's a nice driver, which is the reason why it was the only one I wasn't going to replace when I do, well, I am still going to do this update you on got the, the drivers. On yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to end up doing eventually it. Eventually you'll try it. Eventually. But, but right now it's like, I just want to get it back to, yeah. and I also want to know whether my tweeters just weren't very good to begin yeah. with. Yeah. You know, because that's, that's the other thing. Your, your high end always seemed better. Yeah than than mine and it's the same it's the same you know probably the same even crossover on the tweeter i don't think my tweeters are even as torched as my old tweeters are even as torched as yours so yeah. i use those old tweeters and i i mentioned before i have a secondary i have a center channel dunlavi that i have but that we've decided as a prototype mm-hmm. and that had a tweeter in it when one of my tweeters went i put that tweeter in the dunlavi and it kind of worked for a while yep until we got the replacement pair which were great. Um, so now I took those out and then I put those in the bookshelves that I DIY that I mentioned was mm-hmm. my inspiration was the Alice three, five, eight. I mean, these mm-hmm. little micro bookshelves, mm-hmm. they crush at work, but they're 30 year old tweeters, you know, and I just know their limitations and maybe that's partly why they blend so well into this tiny little mini monitor with this 
you know, full range. Yeah, I, I think you could take range. a T twenty five and integrate it nicely, probably by There's changing such the crossover. Great tweeters, dude. Yeah, I mean, such great tweeters. All the you know, you can you can take a lot of like mo- a modern fabric dome would be even amazing. You just have to change the crossover. I just love. So, it. I mean, it's it's a even though it's twenty years old, thirty years old. This tweeter, it's a it's a ferrofluid cooled. It's like relatively yeah, modern yeah. design. They, I mean, they still sell it. Yeah, right. That says something. It was it never something. discontinued. Yeah, it's, a, uh, it's decent, just it's just not tweet. a very expensive design. Yeah, and it has some shortcomings. And John actually did some things in the in the crossover to mitigate the issues with the tweeter. He did two things. Yeah. Okay. So it's a first order design, right? right? Of course. So what does that mean? You got a cap and series. Right. That's the minimum. Right. Then you have to pad it. Pad it. So cap so and a resistor. Cap and a resistor. Right. Okay. That's the base that's the basic crossover that you would need for, you know, a six DB per an octave speaker. Um, usually and you're usually gonna be padding the tweeter because it's more sensitive than the rest of the system. Yep. Um and so but he did two other things on top of that. He did a parallel notch on it to notch the resident frequency of the tweeter right and so that that lies at 950 hertz with this with this tweeter and so he has a notch uh an lcr notch at that frequency to to take care of that the other thing he did was that he has he also notches the the upper residence as well oh so he has a series lcr that goes across the capacitor, the series capacitor, um, that notches the upper end too. So he's got, he's got, so whatever oh. resonances the driver has, he just, he notches it yeah. with an LCR. Yeah. You always look at people talk about notches and you think about, okay, notch is going to be effective at the crossover frequency, maybe to deal with, you know, at first not having much knowledge, you think, oh, it's the combination of these things and maybe they're like mismatched. But no, it's like resonant frequencies, and it's also like the breakup mode, you know, of the lower driver. You know, you throw a notch. But um, yeah, it was amazing. It's amazing to hear more about you guys understanding these crossovers and him intentionally working with drivers that are, you know, um, have limitations, and then yep. using those limitations to his advantage. Super cool. It is. I mean, the crossover design is critical to making any design, you know, operate the best that it can. But when you scale down in driver quality, which is something that John Dunlavey did, he could have bought better drivers at the time, but he didn't. He he chose to buy, to buy cheaper drivers and just tackle it from a crossover perspective. And it's a very interesting strategy. And, you know, as a result, the speakers were really not, you know, very expensive. Right. Right. So, anyways. yeah, and he, and he couldn't stomach building it for what he built it for and then charging 20 grand, which is maybe right. what it could have been. All right. Anyway. We're, yeah. Smoke machines. Smoke so, machine yeah. question Smoke done. Smoke machine update done. All right. The next question comes from uh, Gabriel Bustamante, um, who asks about power regenerators. And I mentioned that uh, Darren works at PS Audio. PS Audio famously. Uh, builds these power regenerators which create new power um the latest of which is the the biggest and boldest of which is the p20 uh which outputs over 2k of 
of wattage and that kind of thing. Uh, regenerator to those who don't know, you should Google it, but, uh, it's, it's basically a power amp. Um, it's, it's much more complex than that, but if you want to just understand it, it's breaking the wall power down to DC to generate a signal and power this power amplifier. And if we think about it at 60 Hertz, which is our power, that's a tone that's, and you know, you can make an amp that just makes that super loud and has lots of power reserves. And, uh, that's, that uh, can actually power a system and that knocks out all kinds of nasties from the power line and creates a perfect sine wave and that kind of thing. So, um, okay, let's read Gabriel's question. I have a question. I recently purchased a PS audio P20 power regenerator and installed it between my monoblock amps, which are also between the speakers. The improvement in sound quality is pretty amazing, and my amps sound more powerful. My equipment rack, however, is to the right of my listening chair, and I currently have all the source components temporarily connected to the P20 via a standard unshielded 10-foot extension cord, which is connected to a 6-foot high-quality Shunyata power strip. My plan is to purchase or build a high-quality 16-foot shielded power cord terminating in a power strip to connect the source components to the P20. I'm finding this is not as easy as I had hoped, but it's doable. My question is this. Would it be better to install a P3 on the same rack as the source components versus connecting them to the P20 via this cable that I'm talking about, a 16-foot cable? A couple issues come to mind. Number one, I understand it's always better to have shorter cables, etc. But the P20 is the top-of-the-line power regenerator with better performance than the P3, and and so that's why I guess that's why he's considering running all of his source stuff off the P20. Lower output impedance is one of the things that the P20 claims over the P3. Um, but two, are there any concerns that with the two power regenerators operating on the same versus different grounds? So he is talking about like. His amps are between his speakers, and that's where the P20 is. That's one outlet. Then way on the other side of the room is the source component. So he's thinking about the ground potential difference between these two and whether or not that would might generate uh, um, ground loops. And he says that his brother's an electrical engineer who brought this potential issue to his attention. I don't know if he recognized the pun that he made right there, mm-hmm. but I think that was a non-intended pun, a potential <laughs> issue. Potential. The that P- is hilarious. Yeah, it's pretty good. The P20 is connected directly to the electrical panel via a t- dedicated 20-amp circuit. That's awesome. So basically, you're just, you, you've got the P20 babied right now, and you're mm-hmm. thinking about, okay, do I s- start losing something if I'm stretching it out with his 16 foot thing or and then he says the outlets on the equipment rack are 15 amps and not connected directly to the electrical panel i think these two are probably um important uh details but darren i will send it to you because you're the expert yeah uh, well first thing i'd say is that um i i would be curious whether you're running uh balanced or single-ended to the front of the room and i mean you know i do mean it interconnects to the amps yeah yeah and I, I, ideally, whenever you have this kind of configuration where you have your source gear and your front end like on the side of the wall, and then you have your monoblocks down in the front of the room, you know, you really want to be thinking just balanced, you know, for right. the connection, right? Just because of this very issue. But it's that pretty we're good practice, with. right? Because you got your delicate equipment that gets amplified a million times. You got that out from between the speakers. Mm-hmm. You got your power devices in the shortest 
possible connection of speaker cables to the speakers, right? It's a good practice. Yep. So it's probably a common problem that people come up with, right? Oh, it's a very common problem that people run single-ended stuff across the room and you get get ground loops. So let's assume he has XLRs because so, he's got so XLRs. I'm and... I'm no longer like as worried about ground loops now. Okay. Um, one one thing is that the the power cable, this power cable that you construct, is going to be 16 feet. And it's going to really have a big impact on the sound. Um, that that's that's one thing. Second thing is that it's it's potentially going to well, it's definitely going to make the output impedance higher now because of the cable impedance that's sixteen feet of it, right? Uh, versus having you know a one to two meter power cable coming out of the P twenty, it's a pretty big difference. Sixteen feet is four four and a half meters. Yeah. crazy length yeah so it's it starts to get higher you know i i just i know that they're look going going like from the p20 at least it's from p20 it's not the end of the day it's not the end of the world um it's better than you know just plugging into the wall socket of course but ideally i would say get a separate p3 for it's gonna be cleaner it's it's going to be, you know, uh, you're going to have short runs directly from the, the P3 directly to your source components. Uh, that's that's really what my top recommendation would be. But at the same time, I don't discourage you trying to f- figure something out with this Yeah, cable. to use the I extra mean, you, headroom you, you that could, you got it's just that in the 20. To, to, yeah. to make the, you know, at 16 feet and, you know, you're making some super cable, you know, it's, there's just a lot of variables. Yeah. If you want to really do it, you know, if you, if, you know, there are benefits to that lower output impedance, if you can not increase the output impedance, right? So 16 feet, you really want to do this right. You're looking at big gauge. You're looking at very expensive con- connectors. You're, yeah, yeah. Because there's no DIY connectors out there where you can solder. There's t- solder tabs. I haven't found them. Yeah. You know, you need to you need to get that stuff manufactured. And so you're looking at clamping tabs. So you're looking at this is where maybe some of the best, the biggest resi- ohmic problems happen with this whole gambit so you need really nice connectors that think about that the Furotech ones are curved a bunch of them are curved nowadays and you can um terminate your cable in a spade um mm. uh i have a oh it's on my ipad I, at home jst J- japan solderless terminals okay makes these uh oh yeah co- jst yeah they, they make yeah. the only tin plated actual nice copper uh Ter- solderless terminals oh yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> crimpable solderless yep. so you get spades sure. you get crimp spades yep and you solder and crimp you know your power cable to this thing and then you mm. crank it in these modern connectors which have this like curved shape to them so that it curves those things so you can't yank it out it's really good for the um you know really really cranking these things is good for uh reducing these these ohmic things getting um deoxic gold and cling, and uh putting drops of that that's very different than deoxic keg deoxic d5 it's not it's not a deoxic it's like a treatment that that mm-hmm. keeps it hyperconductive and and protects it from elements and stuff yeah do things like this solder wherever you can and you're going to 
knock down these problems that Darren's talking about, about yeah. like the potential issues of making a 16 foot cable. Yeah. I, 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 I totally understand the desire to feed it off the P 20. I, I get that. Like from, yeah. From someone that has a P 20 in this room right next to me right now. Yeah. Um, it's in a convenient location where I can get my preamp. I can get my DAC. I can get my, um, I can get, uh, pretty much every component that's hooked up to the system. Uh, plugged up into the p20 um i i understand the desire to do that but um to make it cleaner and depending on how much money is you're going to rack up building the 16 foot power cable you know you also have to remember that you could just you could just get a p3 and then get a nice short power cable going to another socket and everything cleaner. So he brought that up. So it sounds like it's within, you know, his ability to do that. It's just, yeah. uh, you know, which it's one just, is, is better. And Oh yeah. So the P3, it, P3 yeah. is my recommendation, but yeah, if he has single ended cables, which he wouldn't do if he has monoblocks and a P20, he's not going to go single ended. But if he did play a little more of a role into the decision. Yeah. Possibly, yeah, it would 20? be it would be uh, perhaps a little bit more ideal to to start that ground, yeah, like that, yeah, that I could understand that, yeah. Um, but we're gonna make, be talking make about sure that that ground cable is is, is this is exactly is, the stuff we're gonna be talking know, about later on thick. this podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, P three over anything else in that situation, just to keep it clean, to keep it short runs of cables. The input cable, unfortunately, to to a power strip or uh, any sort of power product is going to be a very impactful cable. Um, it's going to be a critical cable, whether that's a whether it's a some sort of filter like a power conditioner or it's a regenerator, which are two different types of products. We've, we've yeah. talked a lot about this. Right. Um, it doesn't matter that the power cable still that's feeding that is the most important power cable, the whole system. We're going to talk about this and yeah. later on the podcast too. Yeah. And the idea that that's the common ground and that's connecting all your chassis together and, and mm-hmm. allowing this path to ground for the RF. Yep. Um, anyway, so that's, that's your answer there. Um, Gabriel, thank you again for, uh, writing us a question and, uh, best luck to you. Sounds like you're having a lot of fun. So here we come to our last question of today, which actually, uh, if you are a regular listener to the podcast, you know that sometimes we get questions that um, we start talking about and we say, oh, that's a topic question. And uh, this was one of those. And it addresses one of our favorite topics, are are kind of something we've been on lately, which is this um, the role of grounding in terms of the system and, and, um, you know, the movements of RF and how, how all of that high frequency interaction with our, uh, relatively very low frequency systems, you know, the, the listening, the, the frequencies we listen to are so low in terms of what else is going on in the electromagnetic spectrum. Not that the frequencies we listen to are electromagnetic, but anyway, um, let's get into this question so this comes from uh the netherlands from jarsfeld in the netherlands um from lennart de jong and he writes hello darren and duncan longtime listener here i listen to your podcast in the evening because it brings me to a state of quiet relaxation 
Plus, I learn a thing or two. So us shouting over each other about like power cables is relaxing. I I think that's that's great. <laughs> I was thinking about having an episode soon where um you and I are debating on something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. but yeah. but now you're making me second guess that because we were you know kind of we would harsh your mellow. You know, I think we would ruin the relaxing the relaxing yeah. element of this whole. Discussion. Let's just keep it calm and zen. Anyway. So, uh, Leonard, uh, continues, I'm currently in the midst of building my own power cords and I don't know what to do with the shielding. Some people will not attach it at all. Something that to my understanding is, is bad. Others like Paul from PS audio, uh, and he links a video here of Paul's should power cables be shielded on YouTube. Um, will only attach it to one side and make sure it can't interact, interact with the conductors. Okay. And then there are people who will attach it to both sides. And the research out there shows me that that's the proper way. See the document included. He also, uh, he attaches a document with uh, some AES recommendations. Um, looks like uh, recommendations from a few different places. EMC standards, wiki talks. Um, so go back to this email and then I'll address the, the um, attachment here. Um, Paul tells me that attaching it on both sides will constrict the sound, something I obviously don't want regarding normal, not single ended cables. Okay. So I think he's talking about balance cables. I reckon the best practice is connecting the shielding to both sides. So he's talking about interconnects, Okay, but I'm not so sure when it comes to power cables, what should I do? So, um, Leonard, I am looking at this document that you include <clears throat> and the AES, the very first uh, comment here from the uh, Audio Audio Engineering Society yep. uh, is talking about interconnects. So it, it says AES standard on interconnections. Um, and so you were you were saying that this this document leads you to believe that that connecting the shield on both sides is the best practice. So. That's great. We wanted to be able to, in this podcast, in this next topic section, uh, differentiate between how the shield works with interconnects versus how the shield works with power cables, because it really does tell the story of what the shield is doing and this whole larger story of how we move high frequencies away from our audio systems. Right, right. right. So, um, and then and then looking at the other ones, um, it looks like maybe all of these are about um, interconnects. I could be wrong. I didn't, um, fully read all of those, but, um, yeah, this is a great, this is a great question and, and one that we think is real important to talk about. So mm -hmm. let's get into it. What is, <clears throat> what is Lenart talking about? Um, he's talking about not necessarily the ground, but the shield. Right. Right. So on a typical, uh, let's talk, let's just kind of like focus on power cables for a minute and yes. then, then we'll probably get into interconnects here. But yep. power cables, you have three conductors, you have live, neutral, and ground, and then you have a shield, right? An extra mm -hmm. thing. So what is that, uh, Mr. Engineer? What, <laughs> what is the, why is the shield there? Yeah, well, the shield is there to um, shield the, the cable from... Uh, interference that's around it and also to shield uh, other devices from uh, the, the, the actual current that's running uh, through that cable. Gotcha. 
So, uh, so it's, it's kind of a barrier of sorts to, from the inside world inside the cable and the outside world. Um, so interference and also it being a point of radiation as well. Kind of sounds like a chassis. Yeah, it is. It's a, you know, and we call them, uh, generally like sheaths would Mm. be what, what you put the cable in. It's like this, uh, braid, the sheath braid that, that goes over the cable and just like pretty much like everything in audio, there's, there are compromises. And one, one problem with the sheath over the cable, which is this shield is that you're, you're increasing capacitance. Capacitance. Because it's yeah. another conductor that's close to the other conductors right. that energy can can mitigate to or, yeah. or uh, migrate to. R- correct. And capacitance capacitance isn't necessarily a bad thing, uh, but it you got to be careful because what capacitance is is it, it is a lower, lowering of impedance at high frequency. That's that's essentially when capacitance rises, impedance drops right starts, ohms, starts to ohms law. starts to drop yeah so it, well it's yeah it's 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 ohms law in a reactive sense in ac mm. in you know? the way so, the way how it applies to power cables right is, so yeah so uh one of the what, what you're doing is you're lowering you're making a pathway for noise to to go a different direction when you introduce capacitance so that's why I say, you know, you can introduce capacitance with this shield, but you have to be careful and you have to be aware of, okay, where where are those noise currents flowing now? Are they flowing where I want them to flow or are they flowing in a direction I don't want them to flow? So um, just from my own knowledge about this, uh, you know, I know the answer to this, but the the obvious question is, okay, is... Is that the name of this game that he's basically asking? Like, do I connect the shield on one side? Uh, is the shield useful in in moving stuff and and in creating these one way paths where the 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 noise has to go to the earth ground and away from the system? You know, I, I, from my understanding, yes, that's the point of the shield. That's the point of people connecting the shield on one end only on power cables. Yeah, it's essentially that you are uh you know, you're you're grounding you, the point of the shield if it's if it's strictly a shield if we're using that word. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not the ground like yeah. a signal ground, but it's a shield. It's a shield. It, it what it's doing is it's it's isolating the the inside world of that cable from the outside world. So radiation and also interference. And so what's intuitive to me is to just ground the wall side of the shield. Right. That's and the, the, the reason, the reason is, practice. is because any sort of noise current you want to, you want it to flow into the wall. You don't want it to flow into the chassis ground. So in this situation with the shield connected only on the uh, wall, it's essentially an antenna trying to pick up high frequencies and move them, move them down, move, move them down move, yeah. the ground. To, to low impedance, yeah. And so low impedance, so the, and so that's a big deal. Um, when we talk about what high frequencies want, you know, they want to go to the the path of lowest well, well, impedance. Cur- current wants to flow. Current wants current to wants flow. Current wants to flow, and current could be any frequency. Current could be could at be one megahertz. Right. 
current can current can be at zero hertz. It can be DC. So these frequencies we're trying to wrangle, they're all high, you know, in general. They're not DC. And so, you know, you start thinking about what the high frequencies need, and then cable geometry comes into play when you talk about surface area and you talk about skin effect and you talk about the geometry of the cable. And But um, it's interesting to note that you have to think about all of these things when you're doing this. You know, your job and you're thinking about if if you are building your own cables and you have control over this, you want to, you know, be that traffic director and direct all of this high frequency down yeah. that ground line. Yep, you do. So that's why the shield connected on one side makes perfect sense. Um, if you connected it on the other side, if you think about the connecting equipment, the pieces of equipment that you have, a lot of times their uh, earth ground is also going to be a chassis ground. Right. I mean, that's so now you're basically adding on the all of the high frequency that that might be being collected and corralled by this chassis of this device into the equation of the power cable. You're adding all of this stuff. And so the question is, you know, if you hadn't attached that shield, um, then all of the chassis uh, stuff mixes up with all of these uh, high frequencies and. Um, anyway, the, the hope is that your ground on your power cables are, is low impedance enough to attract all of these things. But that's why people that, have that, shields. That's where the difference between the shield and the ground. Right. right? And, that's and the, the shields yeah. are often these braided sleeves. Yeah, exactly. Which, which are a pretty high gauge when you add them all up, right? Yeah, to very high copper gauge. or something. Yeah, so oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah. pretty high gauge. Yeah. So it's basically, that's what they're doing is trying to create this one-way conduit mm-hmm. that's just like, this and then is again, your highway. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty much maximum surface area, which means that given the, you know, the dielectric uh, that's in between, um, you know, it's maximum capacitance too. Because mm. you, you've, ma- you've maximized the, the surface area. Now, the capacitance could vary depending on what dielectric, of course. We know mm. that. Like, you know, different, different dielectrics given the same surface area give different amounts of capacitance. True. That's why capacitors the same value made out of different dielectrics are different sizes and in cables different cable gauge gives you a different conductor to dielectric ratio right which will affect that capacitance as well because energy you know gets absorbed a little bit by the dielectric and that kind of thing so if you have for example to make six gauge you have a whole bunch of smaller gauge conductors well, that's a lot more dielectric that you're adding to the system, um, so that ups the capacitance. But um, the idea that that you, yeah, you, the 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 best practice being of connecting both sides. I think that's that's looking at it from the interconnect side, which we'll get into. Yeah, um, the power I'm, cable side is pretty straightforward. It's yeah, just, I'm I'm not a, I'm not a cable expert, but that's just what comes to me. That's my instinct is I, to just connect the wall side. That is what Wait, everybody is what does. Think? Okay, it's it's I've come across so many power cables. I've done a lot of research. Yeah, and actually, I'm not big on those braided tinned copper shields because I just think that's a little bit brutish of an approach. Um, yeah, it's wideband and it's going to get a lot of things. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I've just had a lot of success with in certain places going unshielded and in certain places 
not necessarily power cables, but in certain places doing the, uh, the shield and the, the, what would you can call a drain a little bit differently? Um, trying different gauges, trying different combinations of gauges and capacitances. So to get a 12 gauge drain, you know, using, you know, four 18 gauge or four, you know, three 18 gauge or something like that. Um, in counter spiraling and stuff. I've done a lot of like, uh, you know, experiments with that. Mm. So there's different ways to do the shield, but in all cases, it just makes perfectly logical sense to connect the, the, the shield on one side only. And that's the wall side yes. where, where you want it to go. Right. Now let's talk about, um, interconnects story's a lot different, uh, with interconnects in shielding. It is. It, it can is. be. Yeah, it can be. Depends on your equipment. Um, that's the answers we're always going to give is, well, it depends. There's a lot of ways oh, to do this. Yeah, there's the different applications. And then also with with interconnects, um, you know, just like power cables, uh, you know, there's also a desire to not always minimize capacitance. So there are some interconnect, uh, you know, uh, configurations. Good point that are intentional that their their intent is to create capacitance and we call this the the most common one is called the star quad configuration which actually increases capacitance and it's something that the does pro it? audio okay. the pro the pro audio community wants no it does yeah because it's smaller gauge and it's more dielectric yeah. and it's more that's why it can yeah okay, so they, they right, do right. that on purpose to I was to, thinking to actually said star quad I was thinking star grounding yeah star quad I love yeah, star, star quad star quad there's, yeah there's a benefit to it think yeah. of a four leaf clover top and the left and right is p- negative plus and the bottom left and right is plus negative that's all it's just counter each other you know yeah, in, and so, in a bundle. So they're twists. just they're doing that to, um, you know, they they are interested in a cable that's somewhat high capacitance because it's going to be lower noise, right? It's gonna it's gonna be Start it's gonna have off. a lower impedance at high frequency, yeah, and therefore it's not going to be an uh, you know an antenna as much. Right. So when you're running, you know, a thousand feet of it, you know, to the front of the stage from from the uh, you know, from the, the mixing console on the, in the center of the audience or something, you're not picking up, you know, radio stations and all that kind of stuff and feeding that into the, the amplifiers. Correct. In fact, you're star quoting that, and then you're probably going to run that shield and have that be the, the ground in a balanced system where the ground has no signal connection. It's just maintaining a, a ground from yep. the back of the house to the front of the house. And then on the, the other side of things, we don't, in, in hi-fi, we don't always want high-capacitance cables. And there's, right. uh, let me give a few different um, scenarios for when we're talking about, you know, signal-level, like, interconnect cables. Right. Um, one of them is, uh, is of course, uh, just our standard single-ended uh, RCA cable. Uh, one problem with having a high-capacitance RCA cable is that you could have, like, a, a two-preamp that has actually like quite high output impedance. Um, you can have, uh, I mean, even the, the, the D, a lot of the DSPs have like, you know, one, one K output impedance. Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot of components out there that, that have relatively pretty high, you know, high output impedance. And so if you look at, if you put a resistor in series and then you put a capacitor to ground after that, 
you know, you you, uh, you create a, uh, a a low pass filter. Okay, yeah, capacitor you know? and resistor yeah. right there. Yeah. So what that means is that you start rolling off uh, high frequency. Right. And you know the I remember being um, you know just getting out of school and you know uh, being introduced into uh, more of like you know the audio world and 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 talking and you know, becoming friends with audio engineers. And, and I remember them talking about stuff like this and I would just be like, you know, I mean, my, my, uh, my school mind, you know, my textbook mind would just be like, Oh, that's just like, you know, that's not even near the audio band. You right. know, like, it's like, it it's can't fine. be, can't, it's, it's gotta be fine. It's gotta be fine. No, it's, it's actually, it's actually like you will actually measure, issues in the audio band with with some cables due to their capacitance and you know these higher output impedance devices that yeah. are you know especially like tube tube preamps in general some of them are just do have a very high output um output impedance um and so you know you you do have to be very careful about that and also the longer the run of the cable it will increase uh will have a linear increase in capacitance right because we, yeah. we we can spec it down to a foot and then you can just multiply okay there's like uh x amount of capacitance let's say there's there's a hundred you know puff per per foot or something uh meaning a peak picofarads and um meaning 10 feet is a thousand puff it's not like 900 puff or 800 puff because it's like gets less and less but it, one thing you do find though with like really great geometries is that it stays low no matter like, like I have a set of seven foot Belden iconoclast cables and I have a set of 50 foot Belden iconoclast cables and their measurements are fairly similar. Like it's, yeah, it's, that's a more, that's a more advanced cable. Cause a very advanced cable. It's yeah. astonishing that it's not a lot bigger for the, the 50 than it is for the seven. Right. Yeah. They're and, and, um, and then, so the last the last location that is extremely important with capacitance when it comes to interconnects, um, and this is always true, you, you'll never ever escape this one: um, moving magnet phono cartridges. Mm. Uh, the the your cable that connects your turntable to your phono stage, when you're using a moving magnet, not a moving coil, but a moving magnet, that capacitance will dramatically change the frequency response of the audio. Yeah, you went so far as to open the top of your phono preamp and solder in a couple extra capacitors because you didn't have cables that had like Enough. the right the right capacitance yeah. for you. I actually had a kind of class. They were too low. Too low. They were only like it's, 18 puff and or he's something. Like yeah, it's vanishingly <laughs> low yeah, it's like super capacitance, low capacitance cables. Amazing. Yes. Sometimes you got it, you know, with the moving magnets, you have to get yeah. The capacitance, right? They have to be loaded yeah. at the right amount of capacitance. You, you know, moving coil. This is my, this is my opinion. Just because we brought up this topic, we opened the can of worms. People want to know um, moving coil when it comes to capacitance. Uh, in my opinion, just in my opinion, the the lower the better for moving coil, um, unless you start getting noise problems. That's your limit. So it's like, you know, as long as you don't have noise, I I, I do like to load moving coil, traditional moving gotcha. coils. As low as possible. As low as possible. That's a great that's just my, that's just, my yeah. that's just my opinion. 
my experience uh, and and also some other people i know who are absolute you know vinyl uh uh addicts really love low capacitance cables and of course they're all running moving moving coil so well it's so, nice you know, to have a rule of thumb there because you the guidance you always get is use your ears to figure out what loading is right and sometimes yeah. people well, are that's just the, like the resistive well, loading is certainly a big thing know. but yeah for the capacitive loading that's for 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 uh moving coils i, guess I do like get... to minimize it unless you get interfere there will be some point with a lot of stages that if you don't have any capacitive loading, you've opened up the bandwidth so much that now you're going to be hitting the stage with with uh, with Stuff RF that intermodulates down yeah, into our, the audio band. Our world. This is something that we should just uh, mention: is yeah. that that right now, like today, that the the this moment that we're recording this podcast is worse in the audio band in the in the I'm sorry in the RF band. Than it was when we started this podcast, you know, a year and a half ago or a year ago, yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's literally worse now. Like the military has vacated every, a whole region. And every it's all year, been, been every year, the, the band gets worse. Yeah. It, it yeah. gets more crowded and more crowded. And so, you know, today we deal with more RF issues in our systems than we did 10 years ago. Yeah. That's a fact. A fact. And and all these things are starting to make more of a difference because there's it's just it's absolutely full the 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 RF band. If you take it a is. look, yeah, you can take you can a look, look at this the up. electromagnetic yeah. spectrum, and 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 just like crammed in there, I have this diagram that I that I've been uh, using yeah. on my website for the cables, and it's like. It zooms in three times, so it zooms into one section, then zooms into the little section out of that, and then zooms into the local section out of that. And there's like a hundred different people, uh, organizations, or yep. or uh, entities using these frequencies, and it's oh, crazy. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. More and it's only going to get as you mentioned yeah. crazier, and it's only going to get higher frequency. Yeah. And the military is usually pushing some of the, the highest The military pushes the boundaries. They yeah. use it, and then they graduate from it because yep. they've moved into a new band, and they allow that to be bought up by commercial. And so there you have just the, the military is the first eater of this stuff, and everybody swims in its wake and eats all this byproduct, but it's just like eventually just gets filled and filled and filled and filled. So, yeah, yep. agreed. So, so, you know, this is uh, all this about you know shielding it's a very important topic and so what do you think about connecting shields with interconnects well i think it's that the answer is that it's variable because you're going to be affecting the capacitance unfortunately and Um, it's different from xlr to rca right with xlr you probably don't even need as much shielding if you don't you don't you don't need you don't need as much because and this is because XLRs, given that you have a um, differential input stage, that you have common mode rejection. Okay, and so right. that that's the thing. P- people don't, you know, they don't exactly understand the difference between differential and balance, and that's fine. Balance is just saying that you have two phases. You have a you have a, a, a non-inverting and you have an inverting phase. The differential means that you you have a a uh, input that subtracts between the two. So you would have the uh, 
non-inverting minus the non-inverting. Uh, or I'm sorry, the, the non-inverting minus the inverting. And so what that means is you could say V minus minus V. Negative V. Yeah. yeah. So you get... Equals plus V. Yeah. Plus so two, you yeah. get V plus V. So what you're talking about is, is a balanced setup going into a truly balanced device. A differential stage. A differential stage the is The stage is has one to be would... there for the balanced cable to work right. 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 The differential the differential stage has to both. be there to be to be able to have common mode rejection. Yeah, to make means, that common mode rejection. It means real. everything that is common between these two um cables will be will be rejected. Canceled and rejected, yep. Yep. So, and and so that's the beauty. I make XLR cable. My XLR cables I listen to at work. They're not world beaters, but they're really good. They're dual on silver wiring oh, yeah, and nice. a simple braid, no shield, Great. zero shield. Yeah, right. I don't, yeah, yeah. You XLRs. probably don't need much with XLR. They're they're yeah. they're in short five meters, stuff, you know? super short, point five meters. Yeah, no shield. And uh, and so the other thing that's used is um is you know tubing. Um, and this, I know a little bit less than you about, but, uh, my understanding is that, uh, air tubing is used to separate the, the conductors. Is this true? Yeah. But it's also to isolate a conductor and allow most of what it comes in contact with at any point in time, the dielectric, i.e. to be air. Now, some people will seal their tubes and vacuum seal it and pull. And it's not a true vacuum, of course, but they'll pull. They'll pull air out of it, so that so that and the, and the only reason for that is for to to you know fight corrosion, so you can add some longevity. You know, vacuum versus air in terms of sound is. I've never found anything that that corroborates that. The idea that okay, if Teflon's next to a conductor its dielectric constant is two two it's two um foamed teflon there's several foamed teflons out there and those claim 1.3 to 1.4 um those are incredibly good dielectric constants um air you know is closer to one and it's just the best thing out there so what people do is you get a tube and you get a bare wire they're both circular and so one's smaller than the other, one fits inside the other. So at any time, there's really only a portion of that conductor that's touching the Teflon. Most of it's touching air. So you don't even need to suspend it. But one of the ways that people do suspend it is to take a thread and to wrap it around so that you eventually get the, di- the diameter of the air. This is what Belden does in their iconoclast cables. Mm-hmm. They actually have a um, FEP, so it's a type of uh, uh, Teflon thread that actually... Um, holds this thing in the middle. I've seen mm-hmm. other designs that use beads at certain distances that will keep it right in the middle of that. You know, but I've also seen uh, uh, research that shows that it doesn't matter as much because even if it's touching the side of the tube, it's still only a portion of it that's touching the Teflon and the greater majority of it is still holding air. I've seen research that says cables don't matter at all. <laughs> So you know, I mean, you got to be to car- you got to be careful. We have at least once one one star review on our podcast <laughs> where the guy calls us like the typical oil snake oil salesman or whatever snack oil. So snack. It's what we do. It's what we do here. We sell snake oil. You know. But anyway, yeah. so so the shielding on interconnects, as you mentioned, can Excuse raise me. capacitance, 
But one of the things I wanted to get into is that it can also connect Faraday cages together and make this interconnected system of conduits for this RF that will eventually go to the most important cable, which is to the wall connection and to the grounding rod eventually outside your house. So, um, you know, the, the question of whether or not both ends should be connected on a shield and the AES coming in and saying on its guidance on interconnections, yes. I'm, I'm guessing, um, Lenart, that, that that's what they're talking about is interconnects and not necessarily the situation with the power cable. Because the interconnects, if you think about it, in a lot of cases it can be beneficial to, to connect your chassis together. If you think about, like, what are the situations where it wouldn't? Wherever your component's making noise and it can contain it within its chat, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a situation where you wouldn't want one side connected on a on interconnects, on a shield. On what interconnects? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where basically you're creating a diode, right? So it's it's one way only. Is there any use for that in the interconnect? In the interconnect? On the power cable, yes. On the interconnect? Yeah, no, I don't I don't see any need for it on the interconnect. Yeah. So so a simple connection on both sides for the interconnect just makes the most sense. Yeah, uh, chat to make sure that it's connected to chassis ground. Yeah, and so not, most not XLR ground. Yeah, most XLR not, and RCAs yeah. they they do end up yeah, yeah. That, that negative is connected to chassis. Yeah, and it, um we actually see it's really nice to have the to use like metal XLR uh, jacks, um, is, especially like the, like the female ones. Yeah, because uh, and this is just uh, another just kind of like kind of off the cuff uh, uh, topic here. But uh, there's something called ESD, which is electrostatic discharge. Huh. And it's something that you have to pass when you're doing compliance okay. work with a with a with any sort of uh, uh, piece of electronics, and they have you know an audio video standard, of course. Yep. Um, that we have to comply to, and so will this thing shock people? Is <laughs> their question? Well, actually, no. That's not no. that's not what it's about. No, it's actually the opposite. It's it's will you shock the component? Oh, that's, interesting. That's, that's okay. actually what it okay. is. Gotcha. So electrostatic sensitivity. So it's that you're you're walking on the floor. Ah, you're building okay. up. Gotcha. Eight kV. That's yeah. right. Eight eight thousand kilovolts. Right. Kilovolts. Yeah, you, that sounds you right can for be, static. You yeah. can be at that potential. That's correct. Yeah, because there's no current. It's not harmful, right? Yeah. Um. And and so uh, so yes, you you do deal with four to eight kV. You know, when you got the right socks on uh, and you, you just, you know, it's December and it's dry out. And in Colorado, we really see it. I mean, it's like I got shocked night. the other day, dude. It's the beginning oh, yeah. of static it's, season. It's starting to happen. Starting, in in Colorado, it is like you get shocked all the time. All the time. I'm scared to touch anything. Like, you know, it's like you touch you the develop volume. routines of grounding yourself before yeah. you do stuff. And it yeah. teaches you stuff. You know, it's just like the dog's getting shocked. Like think it about freaking it. teaches you. It trains yeah. you. Like, it does do train you. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but like... <laughs> Right, but anyways, so you're gonna you're gonna approach this chassis ground that's t- you know the 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 chassis is tied to earth, right? Yeah, so right now when you go to touch that chassis, it's gonna discharge, and you're gonna now you're gonna now um, uh, become at earth potential. Mm. 
So you're going from 8 kV down to, you know, roughly zero volts. Zero, and all of it goes into that yeah. chassis just passes so, right there. So the idea is that uh, you should have everything really well grounded. Um, and if you don't have... If you don't have items on the outside that are conductive, really well grounded, what they'll do is they'll actually, uh, you'll create like kind of a spark gap. Hmm. Um, and you'll get a, uh, you'll get kind of a, yeah, a spark that will go across it. And in that process, you, uh, you can actually get some very high voltage that will then fry circuitry. Wow. So what will happen is it will, one of two things is that you um you can you can just straight up blow up solid state circuitry. Yeah, uh transistors um, and stuff. You know, and... tubes are they don't care at all. Yeah. Um or which is actually the more, most common thing is that it makes its way to the processor. And this is really wild. And the the literally the the field around that around that spark uh, gap will will freak out the microprocessor. The field will do it. So the it's, field, a, it's even EM just field? The, yeah, just the EM so field. So it's a crazy from, EM The field, field yeah. will actually mess with huh. the with the processor that is controlling your, you know, your UI or user interface or or you know all your controls and i've seen the wackiest stuff before in the labs where we, we hit it with 8kv and and you know you you uh and and you know you, if you do have some, some sort of happen. issue with esd that it will start to cause odd functionality yeah. in the product so that yeah. that's actually what huh. they're looking for is that hey right. your product should be immune Impervious. to ESD, and so what should happen yeah. is that when if you're charged up at 8 kV potential, that when you go touch the volume knob to change the knob, that uh, that that there's not going to be any sort of uh, issue yeah. with, with gotcha. this, and there's not going to actually the only spark that you would see is before your hand actually makes contact with the metal, and then you would see that of course that. Right. Um, Arc. That that arc b- between the two, uh, you shouldn't see an arc anywhere else in the chassis. That's the problem. Say so if you, because you you would have, uh, if you have anything floating or something like that that you touch, then it's gonna be, there's gonna be an issue and a possible, uh, damage. It could possibly damage circuitry, and, and then I mean, it I'd also totally creates this, also creates this um this really, uh uh crazy transient response that's very very fast uh that creates an em field that can actually mess mess around with Jeez. processors i have always um for, for a while heard about the sensitivity of of some of the most common usb processors usb input little chips and stuff like that and i'll never forget um, I had a customer one time call in and, and I answered the phone and he was saying that he regularly zaps his USB jack with a anti-static gun, um, which is like this arc kind of like... Because zero stat? Yeah. And yeah. he'd finally fried the damn thing. <laughs> and like, we're like... So I talked to some engineers. I might have talked to you. I probably didn't, but it was just like, okay... 
that's exactly what you don't want to be doing on this thing next to this very sensitive little chip. You know? Yeah. Um, but the idea was, you know, pretty decent in the thinking of like thinking about static and where static charges lie. And do I need to destat this? Do I need to destat that? And, um, and yeah, the, the whole, you know, one of the great benefits of cable lifters besides it's not, you don't have to believe that it makes the sound better, but it will, it will remove it from this source of this generation of all this charge which is the floor has you know the such ability to generate electrostatic potential and charge um because there's so much movement on it all the time so it's just like really great logic to lift these things off of the surface that comes in contact with all this friction i've never thought about that and socks and stuff i know i've said this a few times but it's like i really want to make this shirt that says we're gonna do it I never, I never thought that I'd be a cable stand guy, and it's going to be a cutoff. RMF is not going to happen, but we need to do this, dude. We need to do this. We're going to have the one that says "analog sucks" on the front, and the digital digital sucks. In yeah, the back. I love, I love that one. That one needs to happen. <laughs> and then there was another one I had. Um, maybe we I should just remember. do the same thing about solid state and tubes. Like tubes suck. Yeah, tubes suck. Solid, solid state, state sucks. sucks. Yeah, yeah. I think we need to do that. But, um, but you know, I mean, um. Yeah, the cable lifting thing is just wild and is, you know, that's actually a good point that you bring up. But I I just, I can't explain it at all, you know? Yeah, why it sounds I, better. I, I've heard know. demos that kind of blow my mind where, you know, people have lifted cables for me and it's just like, While you're listening to, it, and, and it's an intelligent demo, i.e. you know where in the music this will play a role. And that's when you have a really con- co- coherent center image and you have some great detail going on because you lift the cable and the image gets a little clearer. And that's what you hear. You can't hear that when there's a 50-voice choir doing some kind of unison thing. You can't hear that when there's the symphony going. It's like you can reap these benefits, but if you want to know what happens when you lift speaker cables, yeah. you got to do it at the right moments on right. a good system that's really well set up, and then you'll right. hear it. But anyway, this, this you is don't want to believe in that. This is what I love about cable lifters. Yeah. Is that they're 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 twenty bucks for a twelve pack at Target. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? They're 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 glass jars. It's the perfect cable lifter other than the nuisance of them constantly falling Sliding off. off yeah. But I'm just saying that it's not an argument of you guys are spending you have so to much spend money. A lot of money. No, 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 no. It's yeah. just like a glass jar is the ultimate cable lifter. It yeah. really is. It's like the ultimate isolator. I mean, you know, when you look at isolating big power lines at 100 kV, they use big glass isolators, yep. right? It's the same thing. So, so I, it's an interesting scenario because you can't make the argument that it's foolish. No, you can't it's not cost because it's, there's no it. money involved. Just try it's it. Just try it. And if you like it, if it's placebo for, for $20, sign me up. Yeah. I'm in. Well, that's what I'm, I'm trying in to explain. for placebo. You know, you like, know, I mean, it's like for 20 bucks. Yes. For me, a $1,000. No, thanks. But. You can make it look so much better when you organize it and route these things on top of something and not just have it sit on the ground. Yeah. So anyway. I, I, it's just an interesting scenario because it doesn't involve any money. So, so the, you know, the concept of shielding static, we talked about RF, we talked about, you know, other types of high frequencies and static electric, electric charge. 
uh, one of the things I've always thought about, you know, because they have, you know, if you ever work with electronics, sometimes they might sensitive electronics like PC stuff. They might include a little grounding bracelet, right, for you. Yeah, yeah, sure, um, sure, sure. That's like so. ESD is a problem with certain types of electronic components, and the 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 largest electrostatic discharge. Yeah, electrostatic discharge. Yeah, it is is a problem with uh, MOSFETs, actually. Okay. And so M- MOSFETs are um, used in a lot of uh, logic circuitry. So like a lot of like FPGAs um, will use like a type of a type of FET hmm. in there, and uh, and you know that goes for just discrete MOSFETs too that were. You know, you've probably heard of, you know, uh, discrete MOSFET output stages and stuff like that. Those devices, when they're not grounded or not connected to some mass like a like a PCB board, um, you know, can be damaged easily through ESD. And so uh, this is basically just because you would violate the uh, the voltage uh, of of the device itself, which is generally like like extraordinarily low, like you would have, you know, um, like gate gate to source voltages are only you know uh, uh, twenty twenty volts maximum, hmm. for instance, you know. Hmm. So so you know you, if you hit that with eight kV, <laughs> you know you damage you damage the fat and the fat the fat blows, um, and so. You know that that's a problem. Other other devices like BJTs, uh, like bipolar transistors, they're not really that sensitive to to ESD. Hmm. So, but but uh, it processors F, like FPGAs, yeah, you think uh, of those as being... you know picks, yeah, um, uh, op amps that contain that contain MOSFETs. You know, all all the all the kind of stuff. Those are very sensitive to ESD. And and in the field, just in my experience, you know, we've had situations where we've had ESD-related issues. Mm. You know, whether it's handling, you know, before they put them into the board, all that kind of stuff. You know, and so, wonder why we were talking about this is because, you know, it, it directly correlates with, you know, high frequency. Mm. It's it, it's and and grounding correct Shielding. grounding and and how to protect these devices from it and yeah. keep them from radiating outward and yep. that's the whole game you can think of cable shielding as very similar to chassis you know faraday cages mm-hmm. you know that's what we're talking about is is isolation so. yeah and and the correct grounding of chassis so that's where we kind of get into you know the topic here which is that the you know the the ability to shield they shielding a component using its chassis is one thing and then shielding internal parts of that chassis is a whole nother thing right so you might have areas that you want to shield like the power supply i've seen double insulated power supplies but that's also well that's that's so a, you can not have an earth ground connection right Correct. That that's a, a called a class two type of device where you have to double insulate everything just because the chassis is technically floating and ESD is actually tough on those. Is it? <laughs> yeah, because you wondering. don't because the whole chassis is floating. Yeah. So if you have any sort of um, 
you know something that's close to that chassis it will arc there so all the standoffs and then when you nylon and everything's everything's separated right yeah it's you got to be careful with the way that you that you you do that because if you you can run into issues with esd easily and then also emi becomes harder too Hmm. because you don't have ability to make your your faraday cage as low as impedance by having that third wire the green wire the earth ground um and so you know uh this is what shielding uh is very very important in a component and you know i think we just we just talked about cables quite a bit um you know there's various different conditions where capacitance due to shielding is kind of a trade-off and so that's kind of that situation it's not necessarily one answer but when it comes to components you always want to make a component extremely well shielded right and you want you want a chassis that provides good shielding and so the next question would be well what's a chassis that provides good shielding and the answer to that is that uh more uh, the most common situations that you have a chassis that's uh, comprised of, of various different pieces of sheet metal screwed together, right? Yeah. You have maybe... With any anodizing removed in the screw points so that it's a, like an electrical connection right there, right? Exactly. So you got you to gotta connect these different pieces. Uh, at the minimum, you have like this, you know, this rectangle that has a top and bottom plate. That would be like a really minimum one. Um, like as far as a very simple chassis design. Yeah. And you have to make sure that those top and bottom plates, for instance, are, have a good connection to earth with little, as little resistance as possible because resistance is going to be a problem because you're generating small currents with these RF frequencies, right? So resistance is, is, is one, is one thing. And so what would be, what's required for low resistance at, radio frequencies and the answer is that you you need a lot of contact area yeah and you can't have any paint you can't have any gaps you can't have any of that it's gonna be uh the screw has to be tensioning directly onto the metal yeah that metal needs to be masked which means that they put uh tape over that area uh whether they power coated or they painted the chassis yeah that needs to be clean right and then, clean and then, metal and then yeah. the and then that that contacting part like the top or bottom plate also needs to be masked on the bottom um it can't be just painted on the top it has to be masked because you'll have you'll have a uh, overspray i wonder if we this is a great little tip we can share with people if you've got a tube amp with a cage and you look at it, like my cage, like on my D one fifteen, has one little patch of of aluminum where they never power coated. Oh. Okay, so and that's that's useless. You want to know why? Is because the if you just put a dot, the paint around it is lifting that contact area. Right, off. so it's not actually so contacting. So see, all these little things, is it, it's, Very, it's, it matters. So, yeah, the it matters The screws are what connect the oh, top to the bottom. Okay, so I, yeah. I've been in, like, I've done a lot of RF work. Um, I actually, when I worked at Bowers & Wilkins, I, like, a lot of the stuff I was doing was EMC compliance. Mm, it was, like, the, right out of school, that was kind of, like, the first stuff I was mm. doing. And I would be in labs, and I would have, you know... 
dremeled away the chassis paint and and dremeled away the 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 uh, contacting top plate for instance so that it's just bare metal Hmm. on bare metal and you're in the lab and you're looking at like the radiated emissions right uh from the antenna and you're inside and and you take a screwdriver and you stick it into the screw that's holding those two pieces together and you torque it just a little bit yeah. more from or take vice grips from or tight, something and like from tight to like even tighter yeah and, and the rf the starts goes. to either go down or the resonance point changes because it's you're changing huh. just this tuning yeah yeah like yeah the whole Crazy. every chassis right. has just like this tuning frequency right and and if you change just the the tension on the screws alone, you're changing the ten- the, the resonance at high frequency. Jeez, that's crazy. so it's it's this it's really wild. And so yeah. you know the chassis are extremely important. And um, so so you know different components. Some components. What you're trying to do with a chassis is you're trying to isolate the outside world from from the actual internals right right and and a good example of this is a phono stage uh right. where the phono stage is usually it's linear power supplies you know it's super low noise it has to be if you've got noise inside you're in trouble <laughs> if it's a um, tube it's got the shield on it on a phono stage y- yeah it's yeah. never a bare tube on a phono stage. rarely yeah yeah oh, i mean at those gains you don't stand chance if you don't have shielding around right. around that um but but the uh but so so, you know, a phono stage is going to be low noise inside. But what about all the frequencies that are in our air that we're, that we're talking about? What about the, the, the server that's like, you know, a few feet away that has, you know, it's, it's running, you know, all these clocks that are running together, that are beating together. You know, it's like you don't want any of that contamination getting into the phono stage. And so that's where... Uh, the chassis being again uh, constructed in this way that creates a, a perfect Faraday cage, or or as ideal as possible. It's right. not going to be ideal. Not be perfect. Um, yeah. And, and and then that you've created venting that is the slots aren't large enough for frequencies to penetrate that you don't want to. Right. Right. That's the other thing. You got to be careful about. I was going to answer your size. first question about like a metal box with no vents is the perfect like Th- that's Faraday the, cage for for RF. Yeah. It yeah. is. It might burn up. It yeah, it'll burn. burn up. It'll catch. Might on fire. burn up. Well, well, it's not gonna. Well, there's no oxygen inside. That's so. a good point. Yeah, yeah. No so, flames. but but you're just gonna. It's just gonna die. Coke, it's, yeah, it's all of your boards. So the your... fuse will blow, and then it yeah, won't yeah. won't light up anymore. Anyways, so so you know, in engineering, we have to battle. We have to deal with temperature. It's a compromise, it's right? Everything in audio. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And and uh, fortunately, we don't have to deal with some of the other issues that the military has to uh, deal with right you know that the what's the number one failure of electronics in in, in the military i, I don't know um it, it's it's actually it's a radiation is a big issue with with electronics oh especially in space because of um, uh surveillance equipment and and, and, and uh, satellites and stuff and like that they have to deal yeah. with a lot yeah. of radiation out that. in space huh and so, uh, and so, you know that that can actually uh, cause issues. Tons of radiation they, in space. Oh yeah, solar flares and stuff. Yeah, absolutely, right? and yeah. and EM EMP pulses, gamma blasts um, from from yeah. solar flares. Yeah, 
uh, happen all the time. And so when you're dealing with uh, electronics on satellites, you have to shield right. from from all that radiation. Um, and so you know that's a, that's we don't have to deal with that, but we have to deal with we have to deal with the next big um, killer of electronics: heat. Heat will kill electronics, and it will age electronics. Right. So it's important that that you uh, that you allow ventilation, but ventilation starts to work against your Faraday cage. Right. right. So it starts becomes a, this compromise again, um, and so the uh, so so you you have to create these slots that are in a certain geometry that they're going to still have good attenuation at the frequencies that you're interested in. Gotcha. Um, and I say that word attenuation because uh, it's not that we're blocking it. Compared to the Faraday cage where yeah. it can just move it out. Well, it's still the Faraday cage is still an attenuation, right? It's like Fair I'm, enough, moving, I'm it's moving a, from ideal it's a narrow to, a real, to yeah. a real life thing, which is that you're making the signal smaller. It's still penetrating but you're making it smaller. And so that's what attenuation is. It's yeah. just, it's just the, this is the realized, like kind of real life, yeah. you know, application in reality, this in, in reality. And so when you're putting these slots on chassis, you're making a compromise. And the larger those slots are, the, you know, the, the, the frequencies that you're attenuating are changing. So the, the bigger the slots are, the lower the frequencies that are getting in. Right. Um, and so, you know, you need to make sure that your slots are small enough that you block the frequencies or, or you at least, again, I said block, which is an ideal word, word um, you attenuate the frequencies in the bands that you're interested in, but you allow enough c- convection and heat flow that you don't run into temperature issues. Yes. You know, what's amazing about this is that all of this is in- interconnected. And that's true in like literally and figuratively, but the the idea of the fact that the answering the question that our listener had of <clears throat> should the shield be connected on both sides, let's say for an interconnect, answering that question about the interconnect has everything to do with the same question about the power cable. The answer is different, but it's connected, right? We're we're we are connecting both sides of that interconnect so that our chassis and our system can work together and can create this highway for these high frequencies to travel down culminating and terminating at this this power cable so it's all of these chassis are are sending their rf down the ground and then this final power cable you've got its shield picking up more frequencies and adding that to the ground. Yep. Everything hitting that, that ground pin on the, on the wall socket and heading straight to your ground connector outside. So, right. Once you get this, once you start wrapping your head around the roles of different cables in, in this system of shunting RF, you realize, yeah, that's, this makes a lot of sense to do it that way. So, yeah. And it's becoming more important and more important again, like not like that comment. Yeah. Not, not, well, not only are, um, is the is the the are the bands getting you know worse and worse and more crowded and more crowded? But we are now accepting switch mode power supplies in our systems. Yeah, you know, so in room on the same circuit, you have switch mode power supplies. Yeah, you know, and you, or you can, you know, we you might have 
class C amplifiers, which are not only switchmode power supplies, the output stage is a switchmode power supply too. <laughs> yep. You know, so the whole thing is a switch, switch mode, mode uh, yeah. uh, device. And that device is going to have something called a Y capacitor that's inside of the, the amp. And so what this is doing on the, on the input of the uh, output, the, 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 um, so there's two different types of safety rated capacitors. That's what uh, I, I'm referring to. There, there's something called the X capacitor, right? And there's something called the Y capacitor. And these are just uh, safety nomenclatures to rate capacitors for uh, a certain use on the what we call the primary side of the component. Uh, and they are what we call critical components in the uh in the safety world uh, um, elsewhere you might it's, it's mains use you know like where where yep. mains is involved that's yep. kind which of, is which is considered the primary which is before any sort of isolation um uh, also known as before the transformer gotcha. and, and remember yeah. whether it's a linear power supply or it's switch mode power supply both have transformers yeah, the transfer is just really small it's in just switch the, mode. Yep. And which is the point of the switch mode. Is the point that of the we switch we mode. get the frequency up, and then the transformer shrinks we don't down have to, to lug this, this tiny, tiny, tiny giant transformer. Piece of iron around. So yeah. that's the the whole idea of a switch mode power supply is to get the the transformer super small by using high frequency. Um uh so so anyways, the the X capacitor is between line and neutral. Right. And the Y capacitor is from neutral to ground or line to ground. So it's common mode. Right. And the other one would be between line and neutral. Um, and so though, what, what those Y capacitors do is that they're taking noise currents from line or neutral and they're injecting it into ground. Yeah, because it goes between line or neutral to ground. Yep. Right. So those noise currents are flowing... Uh, through the capacitor to to ground. Is the capacitor filtering any of that off? Was that the well? That's point of the that's capacitor? what it is. Is, that's is the when point you of the start flowing current down there, it's then not it starts... going the other way. It's going down to ground. So it's directing it, but is yeah. it also filtering it out to nothing? I don't know. No, it's filtering it out to 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 ground to ground. It just ground. Moves See, it ground, ground ground is zero potential. Ideally. Like meaning it's zero voltage. Like yeah, a, the a, voltage and is zero. And a capacitor is but is current current flows through frequency. ground, right? Yeah, and, and a capacitor flows when the current when the when the um, frequency gets high enough. I was just thinking right, about it the, right, right. the so other way is, around. Yeah. Well, yeah, we don't want to. What, what would happen is if you increase that capacitor value to some super high value on the AC line, you start to you would actually start to uh, dissipate heat on the capacitor yeah because it would actually start to, if you start dipping into 60 hertz or even 120 hertz where you have a harmonic tons of current there, you would right? start to the, the capacitor would actually start to to be a load yeah on right. it but if you get where the capacitor is still uh super high impedance right at at 60 hertz and 120 hertz but then at you know 500 kilohertz or one megahertz it starts to drop and then by 10 megahertz it's it's super low um then you don't you're not affecting 60 hertz at all where where the main you know frequency is on the right, line right but you're killing the noise because you're directing the noise towards low impedance towards the ground 
And ideally, you want that ground current to exit through the through the the earth ground connection on yeah. a power cable. Yeah, nowhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want it to go there. So that that explains a, a little bit about the role of switch modes on the line and how they actually do put a little noise onto the ground and that's their job if you've got this system properly connected and grounded and you and you know that these are the paths of least resistance of lowest impedance then that's fine because it all just goes out to your ground and and stays away from your system yep yep it's all interconnected question for you real quick Mm -hmm. random because I'm looking at building a DIY DC blocker right now. Okay. I've looked at a couple designs. Okay. One design is just two diodes. Yep. One design is two diodes and two capacitors. Mm-hmm. And um, the idea is that, um, well, I guess my question was about the capacitors. And they're pr- they're pretty beefy from what I see. And um, the question is, you know... In this configuration, are people trying to get close enough, but just enough away that you don't impact that 60 hertz at all with those with that capacitance? Um, is this a kind of is that an X capacitor? It doesn't look like it. it looks like a I don't think so. electrolytic is what I've seen in these designs. Yeah, yeah. big, 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 big electrolytic, electrolytic cans. Yeah. You know, it would have to be a large capacitor rated for a pretty high current. You know to flow through that so that's different from the x and the um, y's which are kind of lower current and but they're just safety rated right they're safety rated which which uh there's all these different safety uh uh measures like such as flammability mm, yeah um which you have like uh believe like you know something like ul94 is a flammability rating Gotcha. Um, so the plastic itself needs yeah. to be, make sure it doesn't turn into like, you know, magnesium when it right. lights up. Right. Um, and, uh, and then at self healing properties, which is, uh, which is just talking about how, you know, if you create holes in the, in the actual capacitor, like what will, what will start to yeah, happen? Will it, will it short open or will it short closed? Exactly. Kind of yeah. yeah. So, yeah. They like uh, so Shorting they like open. these to op- to yeah. go open. Everything yeah, they needs don't to open when it's don't shorts. don't want it to yeah. short short out. So so you know there's there's all those those elements, and then also the 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 other thing is that um, these these capacitors could possibly uh, short, but not all the way, and turn into a resistor, mm. which is actually scarier than anything then else. They heat up. Right. They, well, yeah, they it heat up and, and then they catch fire and they don't blow the fuse, right? So if oh. if it were to just turn into a dead short, right. boom, the fuse is gone. So much current. Things are okay. But here's an a- you know, out for the energy is this heat, right? So it can just like go that yeah, way. Yeah, that's what's of, funny about wow, safety when we're talking about flammability yeah. and all that is that uh, the worst case scenarios are not on the radical sides of the spectrum. Hmm. They're not usually a perfect short and they're not usually a perfect open. Like that's not where the dangers are. I see. It's more com- it, it, it's actually, more complicated. It's actually sometimes you would rather a perfect short because the fuse will just go fuse you know break. and then yeah. that's just like safe or an open because then what, it is a fuse and that, well yeah then that's the fuse yeah uh, or or it's just a capacitor that doesn't work anymore yeah. um and that's not really a safety problem that's a performance problem um but but the uh 
but but when it somewhat fails but turns into a resistor um that's that's a problem because you could be reliant you could be right on that edge where that that uh that fuse takes a while to blow meanwhile you have flames flowing out of the chassis I love so, that we've gotten here from our discussion of shielding. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, but it's like, all interconnected. It is. It is. To a degree. It's, so, so you know that that basically, you know, all of this, we, we have to go through these EMC, you know, the compliance, which is which is just electromagnetic compliance. That's what that stands right. for. Um, it, where we're looking at EMI in many different ways, and uh, ESD, which I I talked about, is interconnected. Because uh, it it has a rise time uh, to it, in which you create this EMP, this electromagnetic uh, electromagnetic pulse that can affect uh, you know smart circuitry that's inside of your component. Right, ESD sensitive devices. Yeah, it can it can affect devices that can be damaged due to the voltage levels, right. and and or just so the field. all of that is is a uh is an issue uh that we we have to go through these these uh areas where the the, the chassis and the shielding is absolutely critical to solving these problems yep and the chassis is this component that people don't really think about yeah it's a part of the component. And, and it's yeah. just something that is usually looked at from a cosmetic right. perspective right but in my opinion, the chassis contributes towards audio quality. Yes, agreed. And, and agreed. in the future, uh, there's going to be several things that are going to happen, um, in my opinion. And that is is that audio companies are going to have to pay more attention to, to chassis, chassis design. Uh, and they're going to have to start becoming even like pay more critical attention to grounding. Yeah. And, and why, why would they have to do that? Uh, in, uh, you know, uh, other than like, you know, of course things are getting noisier, but I think what I'm getting at here is that as our electronics become higher resolution, as they become more perfect. Mm. Like, I mean, we're getting DAX. Lower jitter. We're getting DAX now. Right. Like the 9038 from, you know, ESS, like Saber. Um, you know, just, just as an example, the, the 4499 from, from AKM. AKM right. These DAX are pushing. They're, they're definitely, their THD is below audibility. Yeah, and their dynamic range is crazy out there. Yeah, yeah. Like it's already beyond... Yeah, it's beyond audibility, right? So you're, those, so you're those pointing are, to so, grounding as a, as an area for expansion, growth, and and like innovation in the future. Yeah, I, yeah. I get, what <laughs> I'm saying term. is that with these components that are like where you have standard specs specifications such as frequency response, uh, phase distortion, uh, um, and and uh, and uh, th thd performance that is way below audibility and it looks almost perfect um that that grounding and, and your chassis and shielding will separate the men from the boys you want to see a chassis spec on there interesting 
Yeah, I mean it's it's true that yeah. the, the, all these things like we we you know the, yeah. when you're changing your power cable, this is what you're changing. Yeah, yeah. This whole you're, you're messing, shielding you're messing armor. with RF. The That's armor what you're doing. On your system is you're what not you're, changing. you're not changing the, right. the audio frequencies. Right. You know, I used to have a um, I used to have a professor uh, who uh, was my professor for electromagnetic fields. And we would always, I would always go to his office for questions and stuff like that. And then we, that would bleed into audio because that I, you know, that's what I was interested in. And I was like curious, his views on stuff. And he was just like, man, you're, you're like, you know, you're going to be a DC engineer. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, 20 kilohertz is DC to me, man. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's, you know, it's like, uh, that's funny. It's it's low frequency to the, 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 the antenna guys, the 20 kilohertz. They're like, Oh, that's spectrum. That's like a battery. That's like (laughs) 20 kilohertz is in the very low frequency band. Then there's super low frequency or there's ultra low frequency and then super low frequency. And, and that's the region where these wavelengths live in the EM spectrum, I, I don't know if it's considered the same in the sound spectrum or the which is more like mechanical waves. But so this anyway, kind of all this kind of right, bleeds man. into it's, it's all it all bleeds into audio quality. And yeah. I think that yeah. as our electronics become more ideal, that that you know it's it's inter- You know, certain sites, and I'm not I'm not going to mention them. Um, you know, are are just objectivist sites that are just saying, oh my god, like these specs are are correct. And everything is in line and, you know, these few specifications are perfect and therefore these five different devices are the same because they all are below audibility in these ways. Yeah. And and the answer to that is that all those five devices will sound different. And and then you, you ask, well, why is that? And it's, well, there's many different there's many different reasons they probably. measure the same they one sound different. one of them one of them one of those reasons why they sound different is because they have different chassis they have different grounding and they the have they, different shielding the way they shunt rf is, is and, different. and the yeah. way that they deal with rf is all different whenever you make a different system you can make 50 of them and they'll act 50 different ways so anyways i know it's a big can it. of worms but love it. but yeah. it's a big thing that we overlook we don't you know, not not as manufacturers, but as far as audiophiles, we're not thinking about RF enough, and we need to start thinking more about yep. RF. It's, yep. it's connected it's incredibly, chassis. Right. It's incredibly critical to our audio quality. Right. Well, that was an awesome topic. This is one of our passions uh, lately in the last year or two. Um, you listen to a host of recent podcasts. We might have a comment about power and power cables and that kind of thing. It's just kind of this segment of our journey, but it's just like uh, so evident. And as Darren points out, just more applicable this week than it ever has been before in the history mm-hmm. of, of mankind. And it won't, con- won't stop it won't being stop. that case. Yep. Great question. Uh, really thank you, Lenart, for uh, asking that question and for listening all the way over in the Netherlands. This is a, a great topic for us. Okay. Now we get to... The uh, album, album of, of the, the week. week. Okay. So this is going to be an interesting one because it's not a full album. It's a single. But it's from a youngster 
Who's only doing singles nowadays? <laughs> it's been—I mean—it's been four years since he's had an album, and he's going crazy. He's—he's—you see him on videos, you see him making appearances, you see him wowing people with his flamenco, very big showmanship, you know. But it's this youngster named Marcin, and we wanted to bring to you today one single, and it's weird. It's you know usually this is an album. It's an album, yeah, but. Yeah. He's got an album from 2017, and it's not produced as well as his latest stuff. His latest stuff is produced so well that as soon as anyone puts this single onto their stereo system, they're going to understand what we're talking about. They're going to get it. It's a couple seconds, and you get it. It's a half second if you're really ready for it. But it's like it's it's so audiophile. It's so good. For systems, yeah, it is. It, it is. separates the the men system from the boy system, <laughs> or the the lady system from the girl system. But the point is, is that it's got everything. It's got bass. It's got center image. It's got imaging. It's got chaos. It's got <clears throat> dynamics. It's got, um, and it's all this kid's twenty or something, right? Twenty couple. He's in his young twenties, um, Marcin, and so. Um, you know, Marcin Patrzalik, uh, he's Polish. And uh, I've seen him in videos. Um, he's just got this stage presence. And he's a really uh, easygoing, like, nice kid to talk to. And then he starts playing, and it's a crazy man. <laughs> right? Yep. So where did you come across this? Because you guys brought this. You and Chris played this for me, mm-hmm. and it... And it went straight to my library and now i've i've shown other people i've played it a lot in terms of like okay how's our bass going today Mm -hmm. and how's the bass in the context of the reg the rest of the system it's so good for integrating sub subwoofers because you cross that line because the bass is so strong oh yeah but in the middle of it there's all this great image imagery and and this great guitar clarity especially when he like slides up on the guitar yeah and there's like this like the image goes from like the left channel to the right channel and it like crawls like a a staircase that goes up it's great it's meanwhile there's this foundational bedrock of yeah this bass it's just wild so you get that wrong and and you you instantly start losing stuff on the top it's yeah just it's just it's a good track. it's a good demo track it's a good track to to also Test like, track, like demo Duncan track. said to to get your bass in line to make sure that you got just make sure not to play it at, at 12 o'clock at night uh you know annoy your neighbors because <laughs> this one's got super low frequency on it but um but you know uh so yeah, you know, this is the one to to throw on if yeah. you want to really throw uh show off your system. Moonlight Sonata. Uh, this one will 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 rock you. Yeah. So yeah, it's his take on the Moonlight Sonata. One of the things if you search in in Koba's or title for Marcine is you realize <clears throat> he's been doing a lot of singles lately and a bunch of them are covers. They're all fantastic, all of them. So we wanted to bring Marcine to your uh, attention. If you've not heard of Marcine, I'm going to try again. Patrzalik, I think. It's a P-A-T-R. It's whenever you have the R after the T. then I'm But he goes just by Marce- Marcine. He is kind of a, a one-name guy. Like on, yeah. on, on Koba's On Koba's streaming. Yeah, yeah. Right. You, you got to just type in his first name yep. um, there. And uh, his website is marcineofficial.com. Yep. If you want to find out more information about the young lad from Poland, 
the expert guitar player with that crazy flamenco style. You know, one thing I do like uh, is it is it's got all these nods to uh, his influences, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. on his album, I believe it's called Hush from 2017. He I've listened to that. I've I've listened to it a little bit. Um, the the treble frequencies are not there like they yeah. are with his modern stuff. Okay, yeah. there's a few tracks with bass that's like it. Yeah, and it's and it's and then he's got a occasional these electronic effects where he'll take a decay of something and like stretch it out electronically and so interesting stuff he has one track on that album called asturias that if you're a classical guitar fan of course you know asturias um it's one of those who who came up with that who composed that i don't know it's traditional almost you know but it's so classic and so he does his take on it and i really enjoyed that because that's one of the only songs i know on on um nylon guitar but gotcha Uh, all right yeah and um marcine yes uh and and so uh oh god i can't remember what i was gonna say it slipped slipped my mind all right uh was it anything visual about marcine because that was the last thing i was gonna do is he he drums on his uh on his guitar so he's big on that Mm. there's just there's transients everywhere you want to look Oh yeah. Uh, so no, it, what it was is that uh, there is this. Um, I love his quick strumming. Yeah, that's like, fingernail so strumming. So you go bra like that. So that's the flamenco yeah, style. This is the flamenco. Okay, <laughs> so, so, so this, back and this forth like crazy this. strumming. Okay, yeah, 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 this yeah. is what this is is intermodulation test. So like am- am- amplifiers yeah, that right. they intermodulate aren't right. going to bring that strumming very clearly. Right. That's because there's be so many spot. frequencies going on at the same time. There's going to be so many intermod products where intermodulation is just basically like if we have like if we play like a 19 kilohertz tone and we play like a 20 kilohertz tone, that one a one kilohertz tone will be produced. So that's what it, it it's like the difference product. Um, which is called the intermodulation right. project uh, uh, product, and and so uh, that kind of uh, that kind of information really can can elevate the noise floor uh, just during that one point, just in that one moment. Yeah, just in that one yeah. moment. So it's very taxing on amplifiers, and so it's a really good test. It's kind of a that's a specific amplifier stress test. Because speakers don't have the same issues with intermodulation than amplifiers do. Gotcha. And the reason why that is is because we we separate the drivers, right? So the tweeter won't produce low frequencies right. of intermod. Right. Um, and and same goes for the woofer. Gotcha. It won't produce. Yeah. Well, it's it's just producing low frequencies, so it better. can't produce super high frequency intermodulation. But but basically, so because we have multi-way speakers, it kind of cuts down on some of the intermod. Like, we still have it. It still exists in, in speakers, of course. But it's not the same way as a power amp where where if you have a bunch of frequencies no. from between 1 kilohertz and 10 kilohertz happening, that you can have a lot of noise appear between 100 and 500 hertz. Well, people aren't mounting an open-backed ribbon tweeter in the base cabinet of something, you know? Yeah. Like, can you imagine that? Like, just watching that tweeter flap. Right. From, I mean, you'll bust Yeah, it, that, but... that would basically be the intermod product would be some low <laughs> yeah. frequency, right? Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. But with power amps, that's the most critical, uh, uh, gotcha. you know, component in the whole system when it comes to just straight intermodulation distortion. Interesting. 
And and it's reason why a lot of designers have placed, you know, a lot of importance on intermodulation tests over, you know, just standard harmonic distortion tests. Um because it's more uh we hate it more or what? Uh no, it's it's because it's because it can change the uh the the, the actual noise floor. It's much more toxic. So oh, I see. Okay. The reason is that like for instance, all the high frequency that's happening, like like you have a lot of energy between let's say one kilohertz and five kilohertz. Let's just say that. So any sort of difference between those that are let's say hundred hertz products that are different, like so. You have you have maybe like three, uh, you know, three kilohertz, and then three point one kilohertz, yeah, real close, right? Real close. Playing together, and yeah. then you have that all across the band in this like strumming motion. Right? Yeah, right, right, right. And, and all of a sudden, you start getting at around a hundred hertz. You start getting all this grass moving Some up and down. Up. It's the noise floor of the amp will move oh, with. Okay. The, the with the signal that's happening up up at the higher frequency huh. and so the the uh, subjective uh perspective or the experience from it is that things get confused yeah things get confused noise floor goes up right um it doesn't sound like a single instrument anymore uh uh it could also start getting harsh on you it could start sounding weird so you know that's where you know, uh, intermodulation, uh, look, harmonic distortion is important, but intermodulation is definitely, I think most audio engineers will agree that intermodulation is a bigger issue when it comes to power amps than even harmonic distortion is. All right. Test out your system with this, uh, this single from Marcin moonlight Sonata, of course, the classic and, uh, done by the, uh, the, the one and only Marcin. So, um, stoked to introduce some of you to him if you haven't heard before, but as always, we're going to have this on our website, uh, podcast.net. Um, and again, if you have a question you'd like to send us, uh, or tip our hi-fi, our, uh, email address is hi-fi at outlook.com. But with that, this has been another episode of the hi-fi podcast with Darren and Duncan. I'm Duncan. I'm Darren. And we'll catch you next week. All right. Bye. The Hi-Fi Podcast with Darren and Duncan is produced by Darren Myers and Duncan Taylor and is copyright 2020 of Slope Productions. The intro and outro music is provided by Denver's Color Red Studios and features the song Bangs by the band Many Colors. 